small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today to discuss concept albums. Please welcome the host of Albums Uncovered podcast from New Jersey, Mr. Aaron Kahn. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. This has been a long time coming. Yes. yes. Too long. Too long. <laughs> But we're here. Mm-hmm. And you are quite a fan of concept albums. Yes. Yes, I am. And on your list today, you're going to talk about 15 different concept albums. I know that you have them into categories, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to hear about it. Now, first, tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter, specifically your podcast. Oh, my podcast would be Albums Uncovered. The handle for that would be at Albums U. And that's the letter U, not Y-O-U. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that podcast, I'm going to say, is more music theory, in a sense? In a way, kind of. I mean, it's more uh, just analyzing lyrics and just doing it for albums that are celebrating anniversaries uh in multiples of five i originally started it when i was in college during uh it actually started during the summer of 2011 which wouldn't have been during any semester or anything but i just happened to be staying on at king's college where i went to college and uh the radio the the station manager just said to me uh how would you like to do a show where you do where you talk about albums and they're all turning like 35 50 or what and I said, well, I'm already doing that in my blog. So, <laughs> so yeah, sure, I can do that. And the idea was to turn my articles into the scripts. And yeah, I, that went on f- until I graduated. And then, um, I mean, I just came back after the whole reception of the Muppets episode for Rock Solid. And um, I mean, I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I mean, I felt like doing one afterwards, but I... I couldn't decide on anything. So I just thought I'll, I'll bring back albums uncovered. Perfect. Perfect. And um, what's, uh, what are some of the albums coming up that you're going to do? Well, right now, uh, as we're recording in September, uh, the season four premiere is one of the albums I'm going to be talking about today. A wasp, uh, the crimson idol. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a uh, very good album. It's the second album I'm doing from, <laughs> The second album I'm doing from the '90s, which, uh, yeah, it was only last year I I did a uh, I started covering the '90s, which, I mean, it's still on. Somebody could still say that it's still on my terms, but <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's I mean, it's it's good that I'm getting into the '90s, but I mean, even then, I think there's some more albums worth talking about. Um, I mean, I have a whole schedule planned out, but I can tell you what's already in the can. Um. Hit me with it. Let me hear it. Well, October uh, is going to be Bad Out of Hell okay. by Meatloaf uh, for its uh, 45th. Wow. Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit out of my the usual uh, thing that I do for November. I got a show on Michael Jackson Thriller for uh, right. its 40th. 
Um, you know, it's just way too important of an album to ignore. And when I, t- the funny thing about the the radio station, when I said that this would have been in 2012 now, and I said, "Hey, uh, Thrower's turning 30. Do you think that?" And she just said, "No, it's ju- it's just way too popular for college radio station. It's just way too, <laughs> way too popular." But um, so yeah, I want to get the chance to just do that. And there's some really great stories behind uh, Thrower and the making of it. Uh. Yeah, we have some friends of Rock Solid on that album, Steve Lukather and David. Oh, Payne. yeah, there's there's plenty. There's plenty of stories like that. Uh, some funny ones, too. I mean, yeah, I know most of the guys from Toto worked on that album. There's some good stories about its writing, and it's just amazing how it became the best selling album of all time. So you're bringing up talking about an album from the 90s. And the reason this is funny is because you're in your 30s. Yeah. Your musical tastes really go back into the 60s and 70s for the most part i would think or i know yeah 60s 70s and 80s but and 80s. i think yeah mostly the 60s and 70s all right okay concept albums i got some i got some surprises for you today aaron i and okay. i picked one album that i think is a concept album and i'll go through that track by track with the story of that album you know throughout the show but I got some surprises coming up too for you, uh, but I'm not going to tip them yet. First, I want to get into your first song. This is a group I've never heard of, Aphrodite's Child. The album is 666. That's the number of the beast. Uh This album's from 1971. Tell me about this album. Tell me about this band. Well, before I do that, could I tell you like the whole idea behind? Of course. The the concept. Well, I had to go back to an older episode of Rock Solid because this is this has been a topic that's been on my list for a while. When I was thinking about if I were to pick a topic for rock solid, what would it be? And um, it was when you did the uh, the live in the studio record in 2018. Um, and I couldn't remember who it was. So I had to go back to that episode, like at a, almost at the 11th hour, just that I was just skipping around. I knew that it was a, I knew that it was a woman who said, something about concept albums okay and that turns out it was carrie scott look at that uh, uh yeah she wanted you to play a song she had brought a song in from Mar- the band marillion and she said oh it's a concept album you would love it she said oh you should listen to the whole album that that would be a good topic for an episode and you said yeah that would be a good topic so i went yeah that would so I just, how long I ago took, was that how long ago was that episode that was four years ago four years ago and here finally here we are but I decided I was at, I know it was after the green episode and after you made a couple of jokes here and there at the okay I, I want to see the I want to see the Muppet episode happen now and then uh, I did the artist never played so I can give some attention to the you know the underdogs and what have yeah. you but with concept albums like getting into music concept albums always stuck out for me because sometimes there's a story attached to them but then sometimes there's not and I think that all comes back to you know I, as i'm getting older i'm trying to figure out well what shaped my what what shaped my interests and what have you and i mean it's like some of the smallest things i mean some of the uh, aforementioned muppets i mean that kind of paved out my way of the music that i like uh i mean there was a couple mentions in what the artist never played i mean some of the music from power rangers also shaped some of my interests um i just just like little things here and there did. And I think one of the things that did shape my interest in, was my dad's love for uh, show tunes and Broadway musicals. 
And with Broadway musicals, those tell a story. So whenever I would get a con find out that something's a concept album, I'd be like, oh, it's almost like a musical. But then, I mean, when you say concept album, I mean, then there are some people who think that it's always going to tell a story. Well, that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes it's a very loose story or it's all based around a specific theme. Right. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a term used loosely, but I think I think the safest bet to determine whether something's a concept album or not is if the artist says it's a concept album. And I do have three types of concept albums. This is just my opinion. People can feel free to disagree with me, but I think the three ways that you can tell a concept album from one from one is uh well the first top well the first section we're gonna get to is uh the themed albums. So every song is revolving around a theme. Example that would be uh Moody Blues Days of Future Past. Every song on there is about uh, the everyday life of a person from the from the dawn until nights in white satin. So that's a concept album. Then there's the narrative album or the rock opera. So something like um, uh, something I didn't pick up. Something like Frank Zappa's uh, Joe's Garage. I mean, tells a story. Uh, although in that case, Frank just had a couple songs lying around and just decided to put them all together. But um, yeah, that would be a rock opera. And then there's the loose narrative, which, um, yeah, a story set up, but you're kind of left to fill in the blanks. Gotcha. Kind of thing. And I would think of an example of that would be The Who's Quadrophenia, although I've heard Quadrophenia referred to as a rock opera. But when you compare it to another album that's going to be coming up at some point in the show, uh, yeah, Quadrophenia is more like loose interpretations. And when you see the movie adaptation, I mean, it's all over the place. Yeah with its story of as to how when things happen and it's really left to your interpretation of what, what happens when so the that's what really inspired the whole concept towns thing and i thought that i would i'm kind of surprised it hasn't been done yet in the last four years um but uh i'm happy to do it well the first album again is 666 aphrodite's child and this one falls into which category for you I would say it's a themed album. All right. And I know this is going to be great audio, but I have the albums all lined up here because in case anything comes with anything extra, like, uh, cause with some of these, especially the rock operas are going to have lyric sheets that tell you who's singing, which lines. Right. Uh, yeah. Aphrodite's child. This is a bit of a, I would say a bit timely because, uh, one of the members of this band died earlier this year, a uh, very famous composer. His name is Van Gelles, and people might know him because he uh, wrote the music for Blade Runner and Chariots of Fire, Chariots of Fire getting him the Oscar. And is it and, Van uh, Gelles? I always say Van Gelles. How is it? I don't I know. I think I've heard Van Gelles. I've heard okay. both. But, um, I'll go with it. Yeah, they were a Greek rock band. They were a trio, but for this album, they were a four-piece band, and they released like three albums between... 19, I think 1969 or 1968 to 70. This came out in 1972, but they were together until 1970. And their first two albums, which I got early this year, I mean, they're, they're fine. They're good psychedelic efforts. But really, when you look at 666, it's uh, just an amazing uh, piece of work that Vangelis more or less did himself. Like he worked with an outside songwriter who I think his name is mentioned. Uh, lyricist uh, Costas Ferris. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the, he worked with Vangelis to make this album, and it's a album all based about. Uh, it's all based around the Book of Revelations in the Bible, and uh, it's a little bit out there. 
uh there's uh some it's not for everybody i would say that people like uh i mean this is a pretty this is kind of a cult favorite album this is kind of it is not i would say if you're into like early pink floyd like adam hart mother or something this is probably an album for you and um i did actually play a song from these guys uh, b- before um the artist never played i played the four horsemen all right but instead today i'm gonna be playing uh babylon all right let's hear babylon let me cue this up funny with the uh with an album title of 666 i thought that we were going to get something that was like heavy metalish in a way but no not not at all it's really all over the map i mean i would classify it as uh, a progressive rock uh i know it's on a list of uh it's been on a couple of lists of as a cosmic rock album but i would say it's like progressive rock or maybe even symphonic in parts it is a little bit experimental on some songs, but there's some pretty conventional songs on there. And it's a double album. So, uh, but, and the funny thing is, is that I think the story goes that Vangelis worked so hard on this album that I think it kind of broke up the band. That's to the point where they were just like fed up with uh, like recording it. So that's why they broke up. I said they worked together until 1970. Well, two years were spent where the album wasn't out. So it came out after, like two years after they broke up. So, um, and it ends up being, you know, this critically, you know, it's a, it's a lost gem of an album. And you have it on vinyl. So, and that can't be easy to find. No, I got this as soon as after Van Gelis died, I went ahead and I knew that people were going to go ahead and get this. So I got this from Discogs. All right. Like, a, like a, it wasn't cheap. It was like good 50 bucks or so. 50 um, bucks. I hope you love it. Yeah, I also have it on CD. Uh, luckily, I I have noticed that some of the I think that's the only Aphrodite's Child album on Spotify. All right, uh, all right. Moving on, I picked an album by Kiss okay. for my concept album, but it's not the one you th- might think it is. Uh-huh. Not the Elder. Okay. I picked the album Love Gun. Okay. Love Gun to me is a concept album and I'm going to I'm going to tell you the story of this album, you know, song by song. So the first song is I Stole Your Love and I'm I'm going to start the story right now. The hero of the story is Gene Paul Fraley and he is not happy with the size of his penis. <laughs> and one day while in a group shower after gym class, he sees the football team star player Stanley who has a much larger member. And this is where in the album, we have a fantasy sequence in which Gene Paul Fraley imagines stealing that kid's member and attaching it to his own body. And that's when we hear the first track, I Stole Your Love.
kind of imagine that scene, you know, the other football players come in and they're dancing around and they're smacking each other with their towels. And it, it's a fantasy sequence within the, the concept album. But, uh, you know, if they ever make it a movie, that would be the, uh, that would be the opener and it's solid. So, uh, Throughout the show, we'll keep going with Love Gun, the concept album. But now we're back with a very popular album from Aaron Kahn, from Pink Floyd, The Dark Side of the Moon. And is it The Dark Side or is it Dark Side of the Moon? I, I, I've read somewhere that it wasn't until the 2003 re-release that the the was added. At the the was added. Okay, I don't like when, it. They, when the like... SACD came out. I think that's when they became the dark side of the moon. Yeah, I just like dark side of the, moon. <laughs> like the dark side of the moon. All right. All right. So, uh, dark side of the moon, uh, very popular album, and some people might be uh, surprised that uh, this might this is a concept album. Well, uh, it is. Its origins are all around. Um, I mean, it was mostly Roger Waters who put it together. And uh, it's, Pink Floyd's story is very interesting in that, you know, they had this period where they had Sid Barrett leading them with Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And then, you know, uh, whoever's interpretation you want to believe, whether he was uninterested in being a pop star or the drugs got to the best of him or some, or he had, he was just mentally unstable, you know, they were left without their leader. So, uh, the other four guys just had to go on without him and make inspired efforts here and there. But um, with Dark Side of the Moon, I mean, if you look at the discography, uh, counting Amagama, which is half studio, half live, um, yeah, Dark Side of the Moon was album number eight for them. And uh, it's kind of crazy to believe that this would become one of the best selling albums of all time. And there might be a reason why it is, is because the album itself, Dark Side of the Moon, is a album about the everyday life of a human being and what they deal with uh things like uh uh, money time uh and they also touch upon the the topic of uh sanity which more or less could come from sid barrett and uh i mean i think uh i'm going to be doing an albums and i have done an albums uncovered show for the college version i'm going to do one for uh coming up in march or Feb- no February, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to do one for because next year this turns fifty. Wow! So um, now this also tells the story of a girl who's lost and she meets up with a Tin Man and a lion and a scarecrow. It tells that story also, right? Isn't this the album that tells that story? Well, it's been it was a rumor. I think it started around in 1994. I think uh, some magazine or some radio station DJ. Some radio DJ just said, made a claim that Dark Side of the Moon, if he played it, it would sync up with, with The Wizard of Oz. I remember reading in one book that once that got out there, that almost every record store that had VHS copies of Wizard of Oz were all like stocked out because people just wanted to see if this thing existed and if it worked. And I mean, the other guys in the band just said, that's nah, just a coincidence. And there's that's not the only there's not surprisingly that's not the only album that people think that sync up with the moon. There's like a whole I've seen like whole websites. There's another Pink Floyd wow. album that uh, the lesser popular one is that um, this is really random. Uh, some people think that uh, Wish You Were Here syncs up with It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> which is just completely ra- there is a whole 
site that I was looking on one time and it had like the most random pairings of albums and movies. Yeah. People and have a lot of time on their hands, Aaron. But I mean, you know, if people want to think that with, I mean, it's almost become, you know, like an internet phenomenon that the two movies uh, do sync up with each other. But uh, the album's origins are that, I mean, they started performing the songs live before the album was even released. And uh, it was not going to be, it was not called Dark Side of the Moon. In fact, Dark Side of the Moon was taken from an, another album title from another band called Medicine Head. All right. They released an album called Dark Side of the Moon prior to uh, Pink Floyd. And uh, I mean, the album was, they were going to call, I think Roger Water called, he called the album Eclipse Songs for Lunatics or something <laughs> like that. But they, Oh, they went with Dark Side of the Moon. I think the re- reason why everybody's, you know, why, be- why I was on the charts for so long is because I think people could relate to it. That or because of the Storm Ferguson album artwork, um, I think all make it, uh, you know, part of why it was so successful. And the song here that I picked is Time. And uh, I, uh, well, I spent a lot of time analyzing this song. Uh, it was in 11th grade. We had to do a assignment for... Uh, english literature class and we were given the task to um take a song and analyze the lyrics and find uh like motifs or you know themes or anything and anything that we had learned so at that point i was reading the book comfortably numb which was the uh mark blake uh biography written about pink floyd very good book so i just picked time and um the song itself i mean i also the album's been covered up, so I spent more time with it there. But when you do do a whole assignment on, and you're making a whole, you know, we had to make poster boards. So I made mine with, uh, you know, the it had the the prism, and you know, the lyrics were like right there in the center. I might still have it in the, ba- <laughs> I still might have it in the basement. But uh, what time is all about is um the uh, it's about how people uh, to quote the song fritter and waste the hours in their life. And it gives the analogy of, um, or it gives the example of how the sun stays the same, like running a racetrack, like you run around a racetrack and then you get to the end, the sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older and you're shorter breath one day closer to death. So it's a very, it's a bit of a dark topic. And you think about other things in life, like the example that I gave in the original Hounds Uncovered episode on this was, I mean, I was a junior at the time and it just seemed so crazy that, you know, it only felt like not too long ago that I was a freshman. And I mean, it's just like, like how much times, I mean, it's usually when, I mean, when you're having a good time, that's when time flies, but I mean, time flies just whenever for some people. And I think that's what the song's all about. All right. Let's hear it from Pink Floyd, dark side of the moon. This is time. Stop 
that's a classic. It's and you know, no pun intended, but that song is timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, here's a surprise for you. All right. Um, a lot of people send me topic suggestions, and many people after you did said, Hey, have you ever done concept albums? And I would tell them, Well, I'm gonna do that with Aaron Khan. And then I thought, well, how about this? What if I told these guys? But if you want to submit an intro and a song to the concept album episode, send it along. So here's what I did. All right. I've asked some of our mutual friends from the weekly Name That Tune episode Mm -hmm. to do this. So we're going to start with a guy who also has his own podcast, John Lamoureux from The Hustle. And he's got a great one. And I've never heard of this artist or this song. Or any of it. So here we go. Someone helping out with our episode. This is John Lamoureux. Hey, gang, it's John Lamoureux from the Hustle Podcast. When I think of, well, there are so many con- great concept albums out there, but I wanted to throw some light on this really good one that I bet a lot of you don't know. It's Lupe Fiasco's The Cool. And it's a concept album about a bright young black kid growing up in the streets of Chicago being becoming kind of coerced and seduced by the the game the drugs the crime all that kind of stuff and it just sort of dwindling this guy's spirit and light there's a song on this album called streets on fire that i just think is beautiful it's got it's got the most beautiful chorus and it's intense and it sounds in the way the rapping in here Uh, It could almost be about the pandemic, honestly, because it's talking about how the streets are like a virus and it gets passed from one to another. And it's like a, you know, they all catch it. Who catches it? Where did it come from? How do we get rid of it? All that kind of stuff. The streets are no joke. Anyway, that's (laughs) what I want to play. And I'd started around a minute and 10 seconds or so. You can catch the first verse and uh, that beautiful chorus. Thanks, guys. Disease, the virus is spreading in all directions. No safe zone, no cure, and no protection. No symptoms to find, the signs of an infection. No vaccines, remedies, and no corrections. Quarantine your dreams and some of our connections. Don't let them in, not a friend, not a reflection. Everybody's got it and want you to have it next then. Don't accept them if you want to stay as an exception. No pill can heal the ill of this sickness. Some are still in doubt of its existence. Some call it forgiveness and some call it the vengeance. Some say it's an exit and some say it's an entrance. The poor say the rich have the cure. The rich say the poor are the source. Revolutionary say a psychological war invented by the press just to have something to report. All right. John Lamoureux from the Hustle Podcast throwing a song our way. Have you ever heard that? No, I have not. That's interesting that's uh it's it's nice to hear something to to know that there's other genres that uh dabble in the uh, art form of the concept album so thanks for that john speaking of concept albums let's go back to love gun the concept album track two is christine 16 and here's what happens in this chapter i'll say it's i'll call it chapter two of ten the same day that we have the incident in the shower the fantasy sequence As Gene Paul is leaving school, Principal Simmons is arrested in the front of the school for exposing himself 
to girls field hockey star Christine Stratton. Now, Gene Paul realizes he comes to the realization that no one really knows how big your member is unless you actually whip it out. And that's when we get the song Christine 16. I'm so excited to let people know that Love Gun is a concept album. You know, a lot of people, you know, they they only think of the elder. So that's my job today. I'm shining a light on it. All right. Track three from Aaron Kahn. It's The Residents. Now, look, this band, if you tell, if you say The Residents, immediately I know what they look like. I mean, I don't know what they look like, but I know the eyeballs and the top hats and the tuxedos. But I know nothing about this band. You got a song from an album, Eskimo, from 2018. Is this their most uh, recent album? No, it's actually now from that. That's probably the, the file for the um for this thing that I, that I reviewed. It's the reissue. Oh, okay, all right. That's uh, an album from 1979. Oh, well, then that's totally wrong. 2018. <laughs> it was for the. Although I don't think it came out until like early 2019, and uh, this is a. Yeah, this would be the CD that it came from, which. Yeah, I got did. a story about I got a story about uh the residents to tell because one of the things after uh the weirdest connection ever of you know watching many many years of survivor led me to my uh volunteer job at Pop Culture Beast and uh you hooked me up with uh Cherry Red Records and I've gotten plenty of releases from them and uh got out out the to re- Cherry Red Records mm-hmm. an excellent reissue yes. label from the UK so go to their website, Cherry Red Records. You're gonna love yeah. what you find there. Continue, Aaron. Yeah, and they and this this is no exception. Uh, since 2018, uh, Cherry Red have been reissuing. I'm not gonna say all because well, the replace or the re, the residents have so many. They have so many albums. Uh, they have I can't remember the count. I, I it has to be over. I would say maybe 50 or something like That's that. That's too many. That's I, I it's just that 30, 32 albums is the most any well, artist is allowed. The other thing is some of them, I mean, some people may make the case that well, they can't be really called a band, they could be called a musical group. I think they're I mean, the best way to describe the residents would be that they're a group of performers and um and that they are uh this group of um you know these these people that just got together I, and i don't think uh, nobody knows who the members are i don't think it's that i think there might be some people who know who may have an idea of who some of the members are or uh, you think they're if, famous if, people do you think there are people that we know under those eyeballs um, no the only one i know that's for sure was a guy named hardy fox but that wasn't revealed until he passed and he had a place in their pr department and after he passed it was revealed that he was a member of the residents at one point. Yeah, he's my favorite character in Peppa Pig. 
anyway, uh, uh, with uh, the residents, almost all their, I mean, they're uh, avant, they would be performance artists, avant garde. Just think of the Blue Man Group um, or a precursor to that. And they've been together for almost uh, 50 years or so, or even longer than that, just making so much music. And I mean, their whole, I think their whole motto is, uh, or they, it's a section of their website that you either buy or die. <laughs> uh, their their stuff. It's just, uh, you know, they just release it in tons. And with Cherry Red Records, they've been releasing not all of the albums, but a good majority of them. And where I was getting at with Cherry Red is that um, I've gotten every reissue from what they're calling the Preserved Edition series, and um, yeah, they're they're up to um, they're going in order. They, 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 the only thing they came out with uh, this year was uh, their album from 1999, Wormwood, which, as the title would suggest, is about uh, stories from the Bible. Um, and the thing with the residents is that almost all their albums have some sort of a theme or concept, uh, with maybe some exceptions like their well, their debut album or uh, uh, what's the Duck Stab? Uh, yeah. And there's a couple of albums that probably don't revolve, but a majority of them do. And the special thing about Eskimo, uh, this is my favorite album by the resident by the residents. And uh, you were mentioning about the top hat and eyeballs. This is the debut of that look. Wow! This was the this was the debut of that look, and they used it for many many years until I guess they didn't want to be known as I don't know. They didn't want to be associated with their. I don't, I don't think they've used the eyeballs in years. Or there's a story of one person getting their eyeballs. They had their masks stolen. So instead of doing the easiest thing and getting a replacement, they replaced it with a skull. So All right. There's that story. But uh, with Eskimo, this is a, and it's an album. Well, as the title would suggest, it's about the Eskimos. But if you were to listen to this without looking at the, re- at the liner notes, it would just be a bunch of sounds and music all garbled together. And uh, the guys speaking, what you can probably think is, I don't know, them speaking Eskimoan or not, but it's so it would just sound like a bunch of nonsense to you if you didn't know any of the context. But if you were to read in the liner notes, uh, if you had the original vinyl, you would open up the gatefold and there would be these stories and in, in later reissues, they have them in the booklet. And with each track title, there's a story attached to it. And if you were to read the story as you're listening to that song, you'll hear that story. Like the sounds, so like there's an example, growing the album, there's like a walrus hunt. So if you read, I mean, it all depends on how fast of a reader you are too. I mean, that's another thing that comes into, comes into play. But um, with uh, this, like you may hear like about a walrus hunt and then soon enough you'll hear a harpoon and then, you know, they're all celebrating, chanting, and you hear the walrus being caught. Uh, yeah, it's uh, something that uh, it's called programmatic. Uh, it's it's got a programmatic so you read it up another example of this would be uh 2112 from rush there's a liner notes that go with that there's like a part of the song where it's instrumental where it sounds like the ma- the protagonist is playing a guitar or he's okay. trying to play a, if you were to read that and read that then that too all syncs up so that's like the most maybe the most popular example even though 2112 i would not it's not a concept album only that first song is but uh but the funny thing about the the stories on Eskimo, they're all about the Eskimo, but a lot of them are based in myth. 
Uh, Are we allowed to say Eskimo in 2022? Is that still an accepted term? I don't know. But uh, all the stories on here are all, uh, they're more than likely all myths made up by the band. And all that gibberish that you're hearing in the song is basically them uh, just saying uh, commercial jingles from the time. All right. Well, let's hear some gibberish. This song is 10 and a half minutes long. I couldn't even buy it on iTunes unless I bought the whole album. So I made you send it to me. This is the festival of death. Evil. Uh, it depends on what cue point that you picked here. Because... I used yeah, your cue point. Yeah. You'll hear those are saying Coca-Cola is life. All right, and then you had another cue point. What's the next cue point? Do you have that in front of you? I'll find it. Well, the cue point, that other cue point is just the finale for the album. And I think it's it's probably my favorite piece of music from The Residence. And what is the, uh, give me the, I'm looking for it right now. What's the cue point on that? Uh, I got the Word document up myself. Hold on, let me see. All right, this is good radio when we're talking about Word documents. People uh, love- 649. 649, okay, hold on. You can Go just ahead. kind of you can fade it out whenever. I'm going to find it. I'm going to get this uh, right on the money. 649. All right. Boom. We're locked in. And we are off. Here we go. Listen to this. Like, is that do you fill up the tub with bubble bath and that's when this <laughs> comes out? I mean, you wouldn't play this at a party. And is this something you listen to when you go to sleep at night? This sounds like nonsense to me. Well, I mean, in this case with Eskimo, I mean, you need to have the the booklet, you need to be having the stories right in front of you. I mean, there's a second element to it, but it's a whole experience, is what you're saying. We really can't. Yeah. We really can't get a taste of it here on the podcast in a few minutes. Right. I mean, I could have picked a bunch of other resident sounds that they do have a rock opera and in some case, or at least with a narrative, uh, God in Three Persons, which is mm-hmm. a very, it's a, it's like a very strange, it's a very strange version of Tommy about this kind of Colonel Parker type guy who decides to become a preacher after he finds Siamese twins that are capable of miracles. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. They have very bizarre topics for their albums, and I mean, that, I mean, they've worked with so many people. Uh, they did a whole thing, the mole, tri- the mole trilogy, which they did the, which they never completed, which was all this story about these two character, two societies, the Chubs and the Moles, and 
when they went on tour of Penn Jillette was the narrator of the show. He was the okay. host. So, uh, yeah, they've had some dabbles with like mainstream. Their work is in the uh, Museum of Modern Art. And, All right. Uh, well, yeah, and the other thing I didn't share with. Uh, but this this even after 50 albums, they're still an underground band for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're still going. Uh, they, I don't think they were. I think the last thing they released was in 2020. All right. But uh, the other thing I wanted to show was, yeah, with uh, Eskimo, when it turned uh, 40 in 2019, they came out with uh, this also came from Cherry Red and it's uh, Eskimo Deconstructed. And it's it's every piece of music that's in every song. And how many how many tracks are on that? Uh, well, I had to do they kind of leave it to you to like convert them to digital because right. they, they kind of invite you to make your own version of Eskimo. This sounds like, it sounds like the residents are making music, not fun anymore. <laughs> and what were the two the, you said the chubs and the moles. Yeah, that's for the, their, 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 uh, their album Mark of the mole. They did a whole trilogy well, of albums, but they never did the third part. Although they did make a fourth part, which, and- because it was, Never. And the Chubs is like a gang? Is it the Chubs and the Moles? I think it was more or less a, I think it's their commentary on like uh like uh the blue collar workers and uh, the white collar workers. But, All right. Well, speaking yeah. of Chubs, that leads me right back to Love Gun. <laughs> so, our next song in the concept album Love Gun is called Got Love for Sale, and here's what that song's about. Gene Paul eventually becomes obsessed with having a a penile enlargement surgery. And in order to make money needed to, to do this, he becomes a low-priced gigolo. He's got love for sale, but sadly, there are no takers. continue the story of gene paul fraley a little bit later but right now aaron song number four for you is by oh now i know this is one of your favorite bands yeah i i really like them they're called riot where are they mm-hmm. from well they're originally from new york but uh they relocated to texas in their later years it's funny when i always think that this band is from another country like sweden or something i don't know why i don't know if it's those album covers make me think that they're from some other place oh uh they are very popular in japan but uh i think it's more or less uh, mark the late mark reale's uh influences of uh hard rock uh music he was inspired by the were influenced by uh, the hard rock and uh, heavy metal, or heavy metal that was coming out of England, such as Deep Purple, Thin Lizzy, um, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and just you know, that, I mean, with Riot, they're, they're a band with two distinct eras. There's or two different sounds. The first five albums are the classic Riot, so they're more hard rock based, and then starting from Thunder Steel, which was in 1988, 
And then basically up until now, I mean, Mark Rialli passed in 2012, but they're continuing as Riot 5. And they more or less are continuing where, where Mark left off with that kind of a heavy, more of a metal sound and sometimes a, uh, in the subgenre of power metal. Uh, and was Mark, guess, the, Mark was the singer? Mark was the guitarist and he was uh, in the band until uh, he had a, he was very sick with uh, Crohn's disease and uh, yeah. They so, still have the same singer? No, they've had many different, they've had many different singers. Guy okay. Speranza, Rhett Forrester, Tony Moore. Um, their current singer was actually a contestant on The Voice uh, What back in, I think it was 2020, Todd Michael Hall. Okay. Um, yeah, he's the singer for Riot 5 at least. And they, they call themselves Riot 5 because it's the fifth era of Riot bec- by lead singers who have recorded albums with them. All right. Cool. So that's that's how they got the name, and they then they they want to respect you know Mark's family and make sure that they didn't use the Riot name, so they just called themselves Riot Five. And, and the yeah, album so that, we're talking about today is called "The Privilege of Power." Mm-hmm. Um, the, that title mm-hmm. might actually just tell us a, a lot about what this album might be about. So let yeah, me hear it this, from you. Uh, this is uh the follow up to Thunder Steel. Thunder Steel was a very uh that was their comeback album, although. In the new Riot band, the only guy that was the most consistent member was was Mark. Uh, the other guys they got in were uh, longtime friend Donnie Van Stavern, singer Tony Moore, uh, drummer who uh, Bobby uh, Jarzenbeck, I, I can never say his name. He, he drums for Sebastian Bach now. And then they got a guitarist named Mike Flintz. Mike Flintz and Donnie Van Stavern are the two guys that are keeping Riot going. And with Privilege of Power, it's kind of a very different album from Thundersteel. Uh, a very progressive rock or progressive metal effort and i guess the the concept left here is that it's just songs about that period of time in 1990 where you know the news and the media and how things are distorted just about uh the war and uh like there's songs like metal soldiers dance of death just things going around in the world at that point in time and they had this album all set but uh the story is is that uh riot are one of the one of many bands that have unfor- they have many unfortunate stories. Uh, many of the members have passed in um, over the years, and they just had a very uh, one of their managers. Uh, it's a guy that I don't think Mark could technically fire at any point until I think he finally got his name off of all of the albums by the 1990s. But um, supposedly he took the master tapes, and then when he came and they couldn't find them any. There was like a due date, and then when he came back, he had added all these television sounds and like you know like the sounds of TV channels being, uh, like the channel being changed and like newscasts in the background, and that wasn't their that wasn't the band's intention at all. But I mean, whether their intention or not, I think it adds to the idea of the album that's uh, from that kind of um, you know, it's all just it's just a themed album about what was going on in the world at that time, and I mean. This is one of the ride albums that has. Uh, this is one of the albums that has one one of the better album covers. Yeah, that's a good cover. Uh, uh, yeah, you can just see on the um, the television that they're just looking at a television shop and just looking at all the channels and yeah. just uh, it's just people it's people on the street. They're looking yeah. in the the window at all these TVs and um, uh, the, they're just taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And the song I picked here uh, has uh, this has uh, a featuring here. Uh, Tony Moore's the singer here. I mean, he was the singer for Riot for this album. 
And uh, he is joined by a guy that you're going to, I don't know if you've interviewed him yet, uh, Jolyn Turner. Uh, yeah, he's on this. All and right. um, also the Tower of Power on this. And uh, it's a song about, a, uh, I had to look this one up, and it, you do hear it in the sound clips on the on the song. Uh, it's a song about a murderer by the name of Jeffrey McDonald. And uh, the song is called Killer. All right, let's hear it. that a lot mm-hmm. let me ask you some aaron if i said to you aaron you can only keep your resonance albums or your riot albums which ones would you keep ah uh, that's tough but uh i think there's i think there's more songs on the riot albums thank you because of uh, the residents I mean, it's hard to just pick one song because they all they're all kind of together all right, let's go to one of our <laughs> name that tune friends, Joe Reynolds. Joe Reynolds has pe- picked a song from the second Extreme album, and I'm not sure how you say this title. Is it uh, Porno Graffiti or that Pornography? Sounds about, right. sounds about right. It says uh, it's their second album. Uh, it says it's a concept album of some sort. Let me see. Uh, it, oh, it's a story about lost innocence and uneasiness so let's see if uh, joe gives us any info about any of that let's find out hey pat and aaron joe here reynolds that is from philadelphia i am submitting a song called it's a monster from 1990s pornography by extreme thank you for having me that band that sounded good do you like uh do you like extreme i don't listen to them now but uh that was pretty good i I wouldn't have taken them as the band that would have done the concept album but uh yeah i like that thanks joe yeah i, I, I mean, would think i would think that's more of a uh themed album and if we're going back to john's that sounds it would either if we're classifying them by the top the, the categories i put them in i i think john's would have been more um either rock a narrative or loose narrative all right. Well, my album that I chose is Love Gun, and it's a it's a straight up story. You, it's it's blatant. You can hear it. You know what it is. Let me tell you about the next track, which is called Shock Me. So, when Gene Paul's parents 
learn about his obsession with his penis, they decide to take action and they send him to electroshock therapy in the hope it'll cure his fascination with having a bigger penis. And that's when we get the song, Shock Me. They thought that, uh, you know, shock treatment would make them feel better. It's right there in the lyrics. And we're going to find out what happens later. Pretty cool. Pretty great stuff coming up. But right now, now here's a song. I would have never thought that this song you're going to play is on a concept album. This song is right in my wheelhouse. I love this song. Tell us about it. Uh, is it uh, is it Spirit? It's Spirit. Spirit. Yeah, okay. I'm just making sure. All right. Yeah, this is from uh, Spirit and their fourth album, uh, 12 Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus. Uh, Spirit are unfortunately probably going to be remembered as the band that sued Zeppelin, which, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that whole lawsuit should have taken place. I mean, it was already known for years and rumored. Even long before the lawsuit, people always thought that a Taurus and Stairway sound very similar to each other. The proof is already in that you know, Blood Zeppelin opened or they toured with them. And uh, you know, it's just a shame that you know people are going to probably think of them as, uh, I don't know, I- I'm sure the Led Zeppelin fans are not <laughs> too happy with Spirit doing doing that to them. Uh, but I mean, um, Led Zeppelin stole a lot of stuff from a lot of artists. Say. So yeah, they're, they stole a lot. they're not innocent. But uh, I think Spirit are... Really interesting band. Uh, the first four albums, you can't go wrong. Uh, just a great combination of psychedelic rock and jazz music uh, coming from very young uh, Randy California, uh, who used to play with Jimi Hendrix before Jimi Hendrix uh, became famous and formed the ex- Jimi Hendrix experience. And uh, yeah, uh, Randy California was in the band with his uh, stepfather, jazz drummer by the name of Ed Cassidy. And the other, the other members of Spirit would go on to do things. The keyboardist John Locke had a stint in Nazareth. Mark Andes went on to be in Heart. And uh, Jay Ferguson had uh, Thunder Island. And he probably doesn't need to work a day in his life anymore because, uh, well, he wrote the theme tune for The Office. <laughs> so there you go. So, uh, yeah, but this is uh, their fourth Spirit album. And even when I first heard about or any murmurs of it being a, a concept album even when i i interviewed mark andes in 2013 uh for a college assignment for radio production and i did it for a news story and i think that i just wanted to interview him and i guess the news point at that point he didn't get the induction when hart got in 2013 and he was not happy he and denny carmassi were not happy about it but, they should uh, have got in that wasn't that wasn't right uh, i think that yeah i think they brought them out of there i mean interest was generated and i think they had something to do with that and yet they weren't too and he also mentioned about taurus then the whole zeppelin thing and then a year later that's when the lawsuit was filed so then when when this all happened i'm thinking wait did i do that did i lead up to this did yeah it's I have your anything? fault aaron it's your fault. 
Zeppelin might come knocking at your door tonight. <laughs> but uh, even Mark Andy said himself that, oh, 12 Dreams, when I asked him about what it was like to tw- record the album, and he just said, well, you know, there were tensions within the band. I mean, they were all on, no surprise, they were all on drugs, and they didn't know what Randy was trying to do. But when you look at it, it is their best, it is probably their best album, and it's a wonderful concept. I'm thinking, wait, where's the concept in it? So when I did it for Albums Uncovered, I looked at the lyrics and think, okay, yeah, there is a concept going on here. If anything, I think 12 Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus is about the everyday life of a hippie and uh, things that they go through uh, as far as a, like, a song like Animal Zoo. I mean, the first song, Nothing to Hide. I think it's about the fact that a lot of the bands in that the West Coast area would live together as sort of like a commune. And uh, there's other topics brought up about like living in the like conflicting if they want to live in the city or or live in the valley or uh just you know be free in the and just trying to find like what what makes them happier in life and um and the song that i picked here is probably uh, one of spirit uh, right up there with a, got a line on you um one of spirit's best known songs and um it's pretty obvious that this is a commentary on the what the changing conditions and the changing times of that period of time in 1969 1970 ran by randy california it's a song called uh, nature's way all right let's hear it great song nature's way I'm going to go on a tangent real quick. Uh, the number one hit song for Cheap Trick called The Flame. Rick Nielsen, when they got the demo and the record label told the band that they had to record it, Rick Nielsen hated it. He took the cassette and he threw it across the uh, the room and smashed it against the wall. And his big complaint was, he said, the intro to this song, they're ripping off nature's way. So wow. let's hear the intro to the flame, and then you can tell me if it uh, sounds like a ripoff to you. Here we go. What do you think? You're the judge and jury, Aaron. You're not going to believe that this happened and name that tune today. What? Uh, this is going to put a timestamp on when this was recorded. Uh, Mike Wiles hosted today. Okay. And he played this song and I knew what it, he played, he played, uh, no, he played nature's way. Okay. And, um, and, uh, somebody raised their hand and said, was oh, that cheap trick? The flame. Ah, see. And then see? they're saying, and they said, uh, and, and now they didn't get it right. And I just raised my hand. I said, well, this is one of the songs I picked for my topic with Pat today. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, it's almost yeah. a, Oh, that's pretty cool. All right. I like that. Okay. 
Real quick, let's find out what's happening with Gene Paul Freely. All right. The next song is Tomorrow and Tonight. Here's what happens. During his first session of electroshock therapy, the building is struck by lightning, causing a freak accident that causes Gene Paul's libido to reach its maximum level. The therapy has backfired, and now he thinks about sex 24-7. He thinks about it tomorrow, and he thinks about it tonight. And of course, rock and roll, that's a euphemism for sets. It's right there in front of us. We know it. So when I was a, when I was a teenager and I bought this album, this ended side one, and I couldn't wait to flip it over and find out the rest of the story. But you, you listeners at home, you have to wait because Aaron's got another song for us off uh, a wildly popular Genesis album. It's a double album, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's, I don't like this album. And I love the early Genesis albums. This one just never clicks for me. That's that's easy. That's easy to understand. I, I get that it, it's probably not for everybody. And uh, some of the influences that are on this album uh, might, you know, move uh, some Genesis fans the wrong way and they may not care for it too much. Um, well, we're getting into the second category here, which is uh, these next five songs are all rock operas or the narrative albums. So these are albums that tell a story almost, you know, moment by moment. Oh, just like Love Gun. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, the album I picked here is uh, Genesis, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. This was their last album with Peter Gabriel, who would leave uh, originally because I think he had just become a father. And um, But obviously, Peter Gabriel will go on to have a career. But I don't think he released this first album until 77. But um, yeah, this was their, his last album with uh, Genesis and was the follow-up to Selling England by the Pound. And it's a really heady album. Um it's it deals with uh it's just the story of a puerto rican living in new york named rail and he's taken into the underground of uh new york where he figures that he needs he figures out that he needs to save his brother john and along the way he meets like all sorts of creatures the carpet crawlers the slipper men and um there's a lot of interpretations that can be taken out of this album and there's there's a couple of things you can find online that there's there's a couple of sites that do analyze a couple of the albums that I've talked about. Uh, there's one for the Aphrodite's Child album. There's there's a couple for the Lamb, because a lot of people have gotten uh, some stuff out of this. And I think what led to that, I think Peter Gabriel has admitted that he was inspired by the teachings of Carl Jung um, uh, for the album. And another influence was uh, the uh, what is considered to be the the originator of the Midnight movie. Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's El Topo, uh, which, uh, having seen it myself, and one of my best scores for pop culture piece, and getting that whole set from Abco, which included El Topo, uh, 
yeah, after seeing El Topo, I can see why, how that would influence because it's a very heady movie about a gunfighter who wants to be the best in the land. It's just, you know, about his inner self and wanting to become the best person that he is, which is something that you can take out of The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I can see why, why some people may not like it. It is it is very long. Uh, some of the songs go on for very long and it does get, I think it's probably, it, it is probably the proggiest of any of the Genesis albums. I do like the stuff with Phil Collins. I mean, some of it's a little too commercial for me, but if I had to pick one over the other, I do like the Peter Gabriel stuff more because it's just more out there. I was just going to say that between mm-hmm. the two, I know you like Gabriel mm-hmm. Genesis better. But I do like a couple of the Phil Collins ones. I do like some of the albums there. It's good pop. But I, even if Peter Gabriel had stayed, I think they would have kind of made it more commercial because I think every, all the progressive rock bands were trying to make it more conventional because they knew that nobody had time for right. these long songs. Mm-hmm. They had to keep it short. So, All right. So this yeah, song, the song is... Mm-hmm, it's the Go last ahead. song off the album, and uh, it's simply called uh, It. And it's it's a short one. It's only four minutes and 18 seconds. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Let me let's see if this song gets me to want to hear the album again. I feel like some of these concept albums are best enjoyed if you're in your bedroom, you have your headphones on, and you're holding the liner notes in front of you, and you're reading along to the lyrics, and just totally immersing yourself in the experience of the story and the music. And I think this might be one of those types of albums. That is exactly the experience I had when I first heard this in 2008. Uh, I was in camp. Uh, it was my fifth year there. And I I could not find the, the Genesis albums because they were out of print for a while. And it was and when you did find them, it would be the remixes. So uh, I had to, like during a uh, visiting day, I asked my grandparents, could you get me, could you like send me over Genesis Lamb Lies Down on Broadway? <laughs> so they, uh, they, I mean, they, they were really good. And my grandmother passed earlier this year. Rest in peace. Uh, for uh, they, they were rocking, rocking peace, rocking peace. We may, we, uh, they were really, she was really good at finding what I exactly what I wanted. And, uh, I got the lamb and, um, yeah, I was going to show you the, the gatefold, which you can find in the CD booklet. It has the story of the album like written out here oh yeah that's amazing and then you then you then you read it along and then you can but then you can also read the lyrics and when i heard this for the first time i was just like in my bunk i I, I had the bottom bunk i would always request for the bottom bunk and always be and always request to be near the wherever the outlet was so then i could charge my (laughs) ipod and then i was just there and i just listened to it on my cd player because i any any time we went to the mall I, i would always get music so um you know, I just listened to it. I just, I just felt like I was like, you know, just taken to another place within that little cabin in my bottom bunk bed. 
uh, listening to the lame lies down on Broadway. Okay. So you referenced that the albums that you could find had the remixes on it and you're a purist. You don't want that. You want the way it was originally intended to be heard. Correct. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes it's just, I mean, sometimes I get caught up listening to the remix for so long that I didn't realize, Oh, there was an original mix. And I just, sometimes I just can't go back and I'm just, you know, I just go back and forth, but I, I do. It's almost like, it's almost like the, uh, you know, the original uh, trilogy for Star Wars. I mean, people would love to have the original cuts, which, you know, people have had to go through painstaking efforts to try and recreate them, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I recently watched the despecialized editions, which, uh, with, uh, yeah, those are pretty. Now they're pretty easy to find on archive.org. But uh yeah, I mean I think it I think the original versions for anything should be, you know, for anybody uh for anything, I think they should be available. Preserved. They, yeah, those should yeah. be preserved. I mean, if you want to do a remaster and add add effects and add deleted scenes, that's fine. But you should give us the option. Like when you're buying physical media, they should you should be able to have both in the same package. Don't gouge us, people. All right, let's move on to, uh, here's a guy. uh, He lives in Canada, and he is going to treat us to an intro and a song from a concept album. Here we go. Hey, Rock Solid listeners, it's Mike Drew from just outside Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And my selection for my favorite concept album of all time is Kiss the Elder. Awkward silence over. I'm just kidding. No, it's not. Uh, My selection, before I reveal that, is uh, I just want to give a shout out to Tommy by The Who because uh, I grew up with that record. That's one of my dad's two favorite records, so I heard it a lot when I was a kid. Um... But my selection is 1989's Gretchen Goes to Nebraska by King's X. It's based on a short story by drummer Jerry Gaskell. Uh, it's available online. You can read it. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but it is a story about a girl named Gretchen who goes to Nebraska. Anyway, I'm going to go with the song Summerland. It's a great uh, kind of snapshot of what King's X is like when they get very melodic and Beatlesque. Um, anyway, love that record. Uh, Pat and everybody, look after yourselves. Look after each other. Take care. Now, Aaron, this is wild because another person who sent an intro picked the exact same band and record. So let's just jump in right here. And I don't know anything about King's X. Do you like that band? I know of them. I've known I've heard good things about them. I know they're a power trio. I think one of the I think they I think they're up there with like uh, Rush and ZZ Top as like having one of the most consistent lineups 
in uh, history. Uh, right. Never really got the chance to listen to any of the albums, but I, I didn't. I I know that album title, but I didn't know it was concept. But All right, know, let, like that. Let's see. Yeah, I like that last song. Let's see see if we like this song too. Here we go. Hello, music lovers. Andy Solon from Florida here. Concept albums. One of my favorites might be this underrated Texas trio, often described as the Beatles meet Rush, and that's King's X. Their masterpiece is a record called Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. And the concept is based on a short story that their lead guitarist wrote. My track from this record is called Fall on Me. that song too mm. and this is uh it's perfect to play those two uh right now because your next couple of songs are mm-hmm. uh are some rocking good tunes and which one's is the queen's right next let me see which one is next do, 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 do. yes from All operation right. mind crime another band i don't i've never gotten into but uh, everyone tells me uh that they're fantastic yeah uh oh there's people that think that a specific era of their career is pretty good and then other ones are not so much but uh the album that i picked here yeah it's operation mind crime there it is he's holding up the vinyl 2021 reissue which i think is it sounds pretty good um and uh this is a full out rock opera um and it's it was their third album and uh the album itself uh i think it was based around what the politics of the late 1980s we're all about like uh, just not trusting what the media's uh, putting out, and uh, it revolves around the main character of this album is a guy named Nikki. He's this uh, drug addict who finds himself caught up in this radical political group, and uh, who end up becoming his. I think they end up becoming his dealers, and they're led by a guy named Doctor X. And just by saying the word mind crime, he call calls him on the calls Nikki on the phone and just says mind crime. And that enables or puts into uh Nikki's brain to go out and kill a, a political figure, whether it be a priest or uh anybody in power. But he finds it very hard to do when he meets a uh, sweet sister, uh Sister Mary, who's a uh prostitute turned nun. And um, they just find themselves in this this whole like rats and experiments. I think one song says uh, that they just need to get out of this mess that they're in. And uh, yeah, I'm surprised that this hasn't been made into a movie. I think there were talks of it being made into a movie. I think around the time that the sequel came out, which I have not heard. And from what I've heard, uh, the sequel is not worth listening to. Although I think one thing that is, I think, uh ryan james dio played the role of dr x on the sequel well, that's uh, pretty great can't yeah, go wrong actually, there 
yeah there's there's voice actors like in between each of the songs so it's like it, they really go full out here with Queensryche I think most people regard Operation Mind Crime uh the follow-up Empire and Promised Land as like the best albums some people kind of fell out with them after Chris DeGarmo the guitarist left and I know that you have a friend that has the uh same name as the lead the original lead singer for this band uh Jeff Tate comedian yes. Jeff Tate Tate out of Tate it's hard to believe it's been 10 years since that whole fallout uh, between uh, it's just amazing. It's just, I, I couldn't believe that just the fallout and the, the things that, that happened, just him acting the the way that they just handled it. But uh, they got a good singer, Todd Latore. And I've only heard one of the reunion. I've only heard one of the albums they did with him and he's pretty good. And Jeff Tate, I mean, the, I uh, the way he was singing, if you looked at videos at that time, the, he couldn't he couldn't sing anymore. But I'm seeing that his voice is kind of coming back. But it's it's I, hard to sing these guys that have those voices. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. That's why Mick Jagger still sounds like Mick Jagger, and these guys are are grasping at straws. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's difficult. Your longevity is is short if that's how you sing. So mm-hmm. this song, Eyes of a Stranger. Yeah, it's the last song on the album. And this is an album where I, th- this had some MTV success. I mean, it, even though it has a story tethered to it, it still had hit singles. And you can just listen to the songs as they are, as just one song and not have to know anything about. And for years before I got into the M, um, when I would watch VH1 Classic and they would play videos from Queensryche and from that album, I mean, I didn't need to know anything about the album or anything mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. the that's the trick to make a concept album but also have singles and this band was able to do it all right let's hear it eyes of a stranger can totally enjoy that out of context of the story good good choice good one i like that i'm gonna have to listen to this album yeah it's well worth listening to and there are all your albums from before i the only one i have that's before that uh rage for order that's a good one too all righty let's uh let's flip over the album love gun and let's kick off side two with the title track of the whole musical, the whole shebang, Love Gun, here's what happens. With his heightened libido, Gene Paul gives his penis a new name, and so born, I'm sorry, and so is born the Love Gun.
All right. Side two kicks off with a bang. No pun intended or pun intended. All right. Let's keep rocking, Aaron. What's your next track? I think it's a uh, sabotage. Yes. Think. Sabotage. Where's, sabotage. Where's this band from? They're from Florida. Again, uh, I thought they were from another country. Uh, yeah. The album I picked here is uh, Streets. Uh, this is from 1991. This is the first album that I did from the 90s for albums uncovered. And this was a really cool pick. And it feel, felt fitting to pick something from the 90s. I mean, this was in October of 2021 that I picked this. And I turned 30 in October. So um, yeah, this is a really good album from a very interesting band that I did play in the Artist Never Played uh, Artist Never Played show. Uh, Sabotage are more or less the band that uh, would grow into uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Okay. Um, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, uh, coming from a, a song from Sabotage from their album Dead Winter Dead, which was uh, the Sarajevo Christmas Eve, became a radio hit. And I think it just was a matter of the singer from uh, Sabotage, uh, John Oliva, and uh, the band's producer and uh, uh, the band's producer and eventually the TSO conductor, uh, the late uh, Paul O'Neill, uh, decided, well, you know, they wanted to move this into another thing like mixing rock music and uh, classical music and have metal classical crossover. I mean, if they wanted to do a little bit more of this, it'd probably not be so much of a sabotage thing. So they made Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And yeah, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra have achieved more success than sabotage. Uh, people always, uh, when there's when it's Christmas time, people want to go see TSO. And they seem to find a very specific uh, audience here. And it's brought them so much success to the point where there hasn't been a sabotage album since 2001. Uh, but there's rumors John Oliva uh, says that he's got enough songs for three more albums. But, wow. um, but uh, it's just a matter of finding a record deal. But uh, they did reunite at Valken in, in 2015. Then they played a couple songs for like the first time in I don't know how many years. But you, yeah, would, sab- you would think they could sell these sabotage albums in the lobby um, during their trans-siberian orchestra shows yeah but just some people just put them are, out there with the merch i just find it kind of funny that uh i remember being at a friend's party and he was describing tso to somebody and just saying oh, have you ever heard tso rock and roll christmas music it's just th- this is what they and they're they're very honest they're saying well we don't do they don't john oliva says well we can't do sabotage because you know you know tso brings in a lot of money they have two touring bands the west coast and the east coast and it's just because they're in demand during the holidays. And it's just uh, it's just crazy that it comes from this metal band in Florida that had a very classical influence in their um, in their background uh, coming from the brothers, uh, uh, John Oliva and his late brother, Chris Oliva. Uh, they got together with Paul O'Neill, who, was, who ended up being the conductor for Trans-Siberian Orchestra. They got together with him uh, for their fourth album. By the time they released, they had three albums. Uh, the third one was filled with songs that I think um I think John Oliva meant those songs for to be for a guy named John Norm. I think he meant them to be like Gail, but they were forced to record them and it's just they, they had had enough, they were gonna break up. But then Paul O'Neill met them and said, You're not gonna break up. I'm gonna produce your album. That became Hall of the Mountain King, which is a great album, which then led to Gutter Ballet, which I had the title track played the last time. And uh this album here is another 
full-fledged rock opera there is a little bit stuff that's kind of left loosely i mean it says it right on the title it says mm -hmm. the album streets a rock opera like they want you to know they're Mm -hmm. ramming it down our throat but i think i may have heard some side stories that i don't think uh john olive or some of the other members were happy that they added the (laughs) the rock opera part to it but it looks cheesy when you see the cover it looks cheesy it's right underneath the title Mm -hmm. but uh opera yeah, there is a story in the booklet, and if you follow along, I mean, uh, this it's a story about a rock star named uh, DT Jesus, or Downtown Jesus is what right. it stands for, and uh, he's this rock star that has this incredible amount of fame, but something happens along the way, and which is all told told in the track that I picked here, and then what follows afterwards is basically he ends up living. I don't know exactly on the streets or just he's he's poor. He's not he's not the rich rock star that he was and he stages a comeback. And then what follows afterwards is just this whole uh story about uh him walking around the streets finding out what the streets mean to other people. Uh for both the people it doesn't mean anything to them. For them it's about power and wealth and for other people it's just a place that you can stay. And there's like no meaning to it for them. And uh, it's just, uh, it does sound a little bit incomplete. And that's probably because it was a story that uh, Paul O'Neill had lying around. And uh, I think Chris Oliva was the one who found it in Paul O'Neill's desk and just said, let's make an album out of this. So it's kind of, it's possible for some albums to have two of the three different kinds of concept albums. I think there's some loose parts here. I think as a whole part, it is a rock opera. And the song that I picked here is uh, the next. It, it's the one that I, after the first track, uh, it's called uh, Jesus Saves. All right. It's so funny. They're known for their Christmas music. And then you pick a song with Jesus mm-hmm. in the title. Here we go. Jesus was a culture, just out of place. We all three hung out on the boulevard. He seven nickel candies. He was Cheap guitar Started playing bars Kids came in their cars Hear them shouting at the stage Jesus says Jesus says Yes I do All right, I don't know. I don't know about that one for me, but uh, but uh, but but you picked it. But I do want to. You know what? Since uh, since you said rock and roll Christmas music, I'm going to cleanse our palate right now with a little uh, Billy Idol, Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the snowman made the children laugh and play And were they surprised when before their eyes he came to life that day There must have been some magic in that old silk hat they found For when they placed it on his head Alright, there's some rock and roll Christmas music for you, Billy Idol Well, if anything with Sabotage, I mean, I will admit that of the, I think of the, I think they have like a big four albums, which would be Hall of the Mountain King, Gutter Ballet, Streets, and then uh, Edge of Thorns. And I think because they had TSO, they saved like the sappy kind of stuff for, for TSO and 
led to the more rocking stuff for sabotage and for some people they just like the first two albums or the yeah. first three albums they, they don't they think it gets a little too out there or whatever but um i mean i like the album i will admit that it, it, there are some songs on there that are kind of left as filler but um yeah i do really like sabotage i think they're very underrated and it's just kind of a shame that we haven't had any new music because they're this there's this other band that they're a part of and it's they've had more success than sabotage and that's the way it is so all right moving on another one of our name that tune friends dave festini i specifically asked dave festini i said could you do it the way aaron does it like aaron when you participate in the patreon episodes you have a specific intro that you use do you record that every time or do you have a file and you just use it every time because you say you say aaron here and then something like i'd like to and i've decided to participate in this whatever do you no, record that? No, that that's newly recorded every time, and it's just in your head. That's how you do it. It's just that I mean, I mean, you didn't even know what how long you were going to be doing the the Patreon episodes because that is you true. Didn't know how I didn't. long the pant, and I didn't know. It's kind of the same thing with name that tune because I just kept making you know the funny moment reels and what have you. Just, just you know, I'll just enjoy this while it lasts, and you know, two years later we're still doing still everything doing here. It. Well, so I just, I've left it to, you know, like every two months I make the reels and what have you. So, all right. Well, by request, this is Dave Festini. And again, I said, Dave, do your best Aaron Khan impression. <laughs> so let's see how this goes, Aaron. God, I hope it, I hope it's not offensive. <laughs> here we go. David here. And I've decided <laughs> to take part in this rock solid episode about concept albums. Very sexy. He's talking very, he's got like his uh, talking to ladies voice on. Let's keep going. After much deliberation, I've decided to go with an album that sadly marks the beginning <laughs> of the end for a once great rock and roll band. It's the much maligned Kilroy Was Here album by Styx. <laughs> Tensions within the band about its concept and its elaborate stage production ultimately led to the breakup of the band and to this day serves as a point of contention for James Young and Tommy Shaw. Unfortunately for fans, they still refuse to let founding member Dennis DeYoung return for one final tour, which, in my opinion, makes them two of the biggest pussies in rock and roll. The album suffers from dated production, but the songs are solid, and I believe it gets a bad rap. So enjoy the song Cold War from Styx's Kilroy Was Here. And thanks, Pat, for letting me be part of the show. I'm sure that I could make you see Cause time has a way of bringing even mountains down All right, uh, Aaron Kahn, did Dave Festini do a good Aaron Kahn impression? Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty <laughs> All right, not too I'm bad. now remembering what Murray, I remember, what was it, the uh, 
I think it was the the food episode that he did for the Patreon listeners. I think it was after you heard my beef heart submission that uh Murray just said says so the extent of Aaron made ASMR before it was cool. Or did they <laughs> before it was <laughs> all right, moving on. Now this is a band. You know I don't like this band. You put this band in here just yeah. to piss me off. You did this on purpose. You know you did. It's a band called Wasp. Do the letters stand for something? Uh no, I think they I think they I think people have misinterpreted that it stands for something, but I, I don't think it stands for anything. I think, I think just... it stands for we are super pathetic. I think that's what it means. <laughs> that's what I think. This blacky lawless trying too hard. All yeah. right. This album is a uh, Crimson Idol. Yes. Uh, I believe this is one of their really popular albums there, right? It's considered to be one of their best, yes. But uh right. The truth is, is that it it was almost it was a meant it was meant to be a Black Eagle the solo album. Uh, with Wasp, I mean, for the most part of the 1980s, they were associated with being a very controversial band. Um, uh, with their shocking performances and um, you know, the, the stage antics and uh, the theatrical nature of them. And uh, I mean, after the first three albums, which were all uh, you know, just rock and roll albums about you know partying and sex and what have you blackie decided that well you know that there were so many people that weren't listening to the messages or just he just that thought we, we could, he's got to change it up so come 1989 releases this album called the headless children which is an album more about philosophy and pol- politics and it was a real turning point for uh blackie and wasp i mean it was more of a serious album and now let me um, ask you something Who's the crazy guitarist from Wasp? That would be Chris Holmes. Okay, now is Chris Holmes on the Headless Children album? He's on the Headless. Ch- that was his last one for that a while. Was. Okay, but um, but uh, he uh, yeah, he left the band afterwards because of some tensions with Blackie, and he had gotten out with the divorce with Lita Ford, and just uh, other things that were going on in his life at that point in time. But um. But yeah, Blackie decided to do this album, and um, it was meant to be a Blackie Lawless solo album, but um, it, it ended up being a Wasp album, and he uh, got a good group of players, a drummer by the name of Stet Howland, uh, Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot, and who had also drummed on the, the Headless Children, and then uh, Bob Kulik on guitar. And what The Crimson Idol is, it's a concept album that was, it, it's very much rooted in The Who uh it's it's about a rock star by the name of jonathan Steele, and uh it's about his upbringing of his, his rough life uh in his early years and then his uh rise to stardom as a rock star and uh makes a deal with a guy named chainsaw charlie and and then all these other he, he's robbed of his artistic integrity and um it, he just realizes that the success has made him it doesn't bring him any happiness. It just makes him more miserable. So um, what Blackie's intentions in making this album were was to, was that he, he claimed that he was always getting asked by people. How do you make it in the business? How, how, how do I make it? How do I get into the music business? And he says, well, you're gonna have to really want this. And so he just decided, okay, I'm going to make a story of the worst possible scenario. And if you still want in, then go ahead and do it. And, I mean, I have no interest in being in the. I mean, I'm I'm okay with reviewing it and whatnot, but if I were had any interest, I, I would not want. 
I mean, it is a little, the story here is a little bit over the top. It is an over the top example, but I mean, after hearing so many stories about the music business, I mean, I mean, this, it's going to sound funny at first, but I think the best comparison to, I mean, it does have who influences, but I think the, it's almost like, I would say the Crimson Eye is almost like, it's like, you think of like a star is born and okay. metal. It's, it's almost like, it's like the story that Hollywood doesn't want you to know about that. They would like you to think that the people that go on stage are these people that present themselves and you know, see how great their lives are. They don't want you to know that they had this terrible backstory and that now everything's great. But uh, and the song I picked here is somewhat of this title track. It's called The Idol. And in the story, he calls his this is another one that has a story attached to it uh, in the liner notes. And um, it's after a party that he throws. Uh, and he's doing Jonathan's doing drugs at this point. He decides to call his parents and uh, his mom answers. And then they, after like 40 seconds, they say, we have no son. So it's just, it's just him just sitting there and just realizing that the only thing that he wanted was, was the love of somebody or more or less the the love of his parents. All right. And rock and peace, Frankie Benali and um, Bob Kulik. Here we Mm go. The idol from the band, we are super pathetic. Okay, here we go. Also known as what? If I scream, could anybody hear me? Ooh, if I smash the silence, you'll see what fame has turned to me. Kiss away the pain and leave me lonely. actually saw this band live they opened for kiss on the animalized tour and that would have been when they were doing the whole theatrical bit oh yeah they Uh threw meat and uh they had the uh the cod piece that was a saw blade and um you know they uh they yelled fuck like a beast quite a few times well now uh, blackie doesn't play that song anymore because now he's a born again He's not played it for uh, 15 years now because he's a born again Christian. Oh boy. Of course. But but, uh, I saw them in 20. I'm going to be seeing them again in November. It's just so strange that I bought the ticket. I've never seen a show that's been so pre-planned as this. Uh, They, they're coming back to North America for the first time since I saw them in 2010 with my uncle. And um, they, they put on a good, they they did something really uh, interesting for the, um, I'm not sure if they're going to do it for this tour. This is their 40th anniversary tour. They're going to be doing it with Armored Saint. But what they did for the show that I saw them at, uh, they, if there was a video, if there was a song that had a video attached to it, okay, they played it with in synchronicity with the music video. Wow, that's difficult, I would imagine. And it, 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 it they just it like you would see like they played Blind in Texas, and you would see the music video for Blind in Texas. And everything lined up with what 
they were playing live right there. And I just thought that that was like really cool. I mean, it's now they're now in small venues because I mean, Wasp has always always been a cult favorite. They're not going to be in the big venues, probably like in, outside of the United States, they will be. But um, but yeah, they put on. Uh, I'm interested in what they're doing for the 40th anniversary tour, and I'm and I'm hearing that Blackie is thinking about playing Animal again. But but I don't know if he if he's going to do that or not. All right, uh, let's move on to. Track six of Love Gun. The song is Hooligan, and this is the story. One night while Gene Paul is out trying to hook up with any girl that will have him, he meets Beth. (laughs) Unfortunately, Beth is already married to a local meth dealer named Chris Peters. Peters is a bad cat, and he lets Gene Paul know that he is a guy not to be messed with because he is a hooligan. Hooligan. That's a great number. That's a great one. Keeps the story moving right along. Gene Paul runs into all these crazy characters. It's one of the better concept albums, in my opinion. Uh, it's right up there with uh, the Who's Tommy, which is your next pick. Yeah, this is probably the most. This is probably the most popular. When people think of rock operas, this is probably the one thing that they think of. It's the first. Uh, it's the story of a deaf, dumb, and blind kid that that uh uh released in 1969. It was an album that you know Pete Townsend came up with this very unique concept about a boy who becomes deaf, dumb, and blind after witnessing a murder, and uh, his parents have very uh the unconventional ways of trying to cure him. Uh, some of them uh very on PC for the, for this time period now and uh, this is an example of one where if you look at the lyrics it tells you which character is singing yes very it's, cool so that's when you know that you're dealing with an opera and uh since everybody knows the story about tommy i thought i would tell a story about how i came to realize that the who were a band uh, it's a story involving my dad it's a it's a it's a good one i, I wrote about it what a couple years ago uh it was my first memory of Tommy was seeing them. Uh, it was like late at night, or it was a. It was getting around to bedtime. I must have been like eight or, I would say eight years old. And as my dad would do, he would watch TV before going to bed. And at on that night, he was watching this really trippy movie and just watching this uh, Roger Daltrey. Just this guy with this big mane of hair just dropped drop, dropped into a pool, and he was. Uh, singing this song and i just asked him what are you watching and he says it's tommy i went oh okay so um and i found out there was a musical and at that point in time i was i I would take to anything and just like i would be on a kick of listening to that one thing 
for like the next month or so. So I, it turned out that my dad did have um, Tommy or he did have uh, the thing to that music. He did have the, the CDs for that musical. But I was confused when I read the, the CD, uh, the, the spines for them. It said Tommy the Who. And I, 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 I didn't know what that was. I just thought that I guess that's the name of the musical. I, I didn't know anything else about it. So fast forward to I don't know when this would have happened, but not too long afterwards, we were all watching The Simpsons. And I, I mean, I was watching it because it was just The Simpsons. I mean, we liked watching it every Sunday night. And there was this band that uh, Springfield was very divided about because they weren't playing in their venue. And then it came to the end where. Uh, you know, they're all, everybody's shouting requests and uh, Homer yelled out pinball wizard. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when I just looked at my dad and I went, wait, what? I just looked at him and I go over to our CD cabinet at the time, which is not there anymore. I just point to the CD. I point to the TV and go, wait, do these match? And he, and he, my dad just smiled and he just, he nodded his head like, Oh, so the who's the name of the band? Okay. <laughs> so yeah, and then soon enough, I would be, I would get into the Who. I think this is probably prior to me getting into the Beatles, or but yeah, soon enough, I got into the Who, and um, I would listen to Tommy at least whatever. I mean, again, it's an album that has some uh, very touchy subjects for songs, so whatever uh, my mother didn't want me listening to, then um, no, I, I didn't listen to it until until I figured out what all the when I figured out what all the songs were about, she's like, you really want to be filling your head with all that? Well, I mean, I want to listen to the whole album. With all that craziness, Aaron. Oh, you want to but, fill your head with that? But I think it it is my favorite of the narrative albums. It's one of my all-time favorite albums. And I'm so happy. And the other thing I have to add, I'm so happy that my dad happened to have the original album and not the the, the original cast recording. Because if I had listened to the original cast, it's like what you said about the new remixes. I I heard somewhere in a Uriah Heap podcast, or somebody said that usually the first version of a song that you hear is the version that you end up liking the most. Right. I am so grateful that my dad had the original album for, for, for Tommy, because if I had heard the, the original, I'm sure I still would have liked the album itself, but I'm just glad that he had the original source. And do you have, do you have your dad's original albums? I do have his original CD. I mean, we still have a couple of his. I mean, music-wise, he wasn't the he wasn't into the same stuff. As, I mean, he liked the Beatles. I still hang on to those 1987 C, even though the 2009 remasters are much better. I mean, I'll still hang on to some of the musicals, and I still have them on my iPod. And I, I uh, Tommy's somewhere among there, and it's the original mix of Tommy because all those who remasters they're all remixes. Yeah, they are. But I mean, I think the general consensus is that well, some of them are better. But uh, for me, I like the Quadrophenia original next more. I, I have that one there too. But yeah, my dad's original Tommy is is still there. Cool. All right, and the song you picked is it's a great one. I'm free. Mm -hmm. Here we go. And that was the song that I saw on the TV. So. I told you what it takes to reach a high, most high. You love and say the things that simple. But you've been told many times before, Messiah's pointed to it all. No one had the guts to leave the temple.
it's it's uh it's a stone cold classic mm-hmm. you can't beat it top to bottom i love the whole thing all right i'm looking at my list here ah uh, we got another special guest from name that tune this guy does a lot of the artwork for the facebook page for rock solid and for twitter this guy's kyle hildreth let's hear what he's bringing to the party Hey everybody, it's Kyle Hildreth from the disgustingly sweaty and muggy woods of Western Mass. (laughs) (sighs) Today was a real yuck of a day. And tonight's no different, so I decided to hop in the car, close the door, and talk about concept albums. I don't like them, surprise. Uh, Most of the bands I like don't put out ones I like, although Alice Cooper has a couple I like and a couple I don't like. Uh, Queensryche's got a couple good songs on Operation Mindcrime. There you go. And I'm guessing somebody already has or will talk about Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden, so we'll let them have that. Not today. Uh, if I had to pick one, I'd say Billy Joel's An Innocent Man would be my favorite concept album, based on what I read on Wikipedia today. I didn't know that was one, hmm. but I guess there you go. So if you're not counting that, like most people aren't... Innocent Man's more of a themed album, I think. I think the whole idea, I, I heard your episode with John about Billy Joel, and I think what he said, the whole idea was like to make up like a Motown album kind yeah. of thing. Each song has, each song is a tribute to a certain artist, like, you know, the Four Seasons or the Temptations or stuff like that. Okay, back to Kyle, back to Cranky Kyle. So if you're not counting that, like most people aren't as a concept album, I guess my favorite would be from the band Sabaton. And their 2019 offering, The Great War. It is a concept album based around World War I and different stories and um, events, I guess, that were you know retold from that war. And it's from Swedish band Sabaton. They're a power metal band. They're fast and loud and sing-along choruses and catchy melodies. And I think they're great. Um, my first album from them and turned out to be a winner. So you can start your snickering here, since it is power metal and it is kind of goofy. But I don't know, for uh, such a serious subject as World War One, a lot of their songs are very upbeat. But I kind of like that too. So why don't we start with the leadoff track from Sabaton, Off the Great War. Here is the future of warfare. Sabaton! The first Aaron, give me your quick review of Sabaton. Oh, it's very familiar with, uh, it sounds very familiar to uh, the later day uh, Riot. Oh, okay, uh, cool. As far as, far as with the, the power metal, uh, although that would be from a, probably a couple of decades after Riot, uh, but it's got the same feel for, for that. And I can and I can get uh, someone like uh Kyle or or anybody if they if they they don't care for concept albums I mean I I totally get it some people 
they think they're too pretentious they're too over you know they're, they get bombastic sometimes with the production but i think the reason why i have a soft spot for them is because of my upbringing with you know my dad introducing me to musicals and that's yeah. why you know i look at them maybe a little bit more favorably than i mean i i can get where people are coming from i can see the flaws and see what you know why people wouldn't like that but i can't help but but just like some of the theatricalness that goes into some of the uh you know some some album making i agree with you and one of the best is love gun the concept album by kiss we're in chapter eight right now it's called almost human and here's what it's about after a week the effects of the lightning enhanced electroshock therapy session start to wear off and gene paul starts to feel normal again he's on his way to feeling Almost human. Right, only two chapters left in the saga of Gene Paul Fraley and the concept album we've all come to love, Love Gun. All right, back to Aaron with uh, some David Bowie. I own this one on vinyl myself. How about that? Smell me. Uh, uh, next up here, we're getting into the last of the uh, three types of albums. These are loose narratives. Uh, so these are albums where they give you a little bit of work to do with uh i mean again some of this there might be narratives going on with this one i'm going to be talking about specifically uh david bowie has given uh some very specifics about what happens in this musical even though there's like nothing in the lyrics that, that would lead you to think of that but i mean after doing now's uncovered episode on this um yeah i do see some of the I think it's both loose and it is a little bit, uh, there's a bit of narration. The album I'm talking about is Ziggy Stardust. Uh, technically, the full title is The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Uh, this was David Bowie's fifth studio album. And um, I I did a whole show on it. I, I think the, the influence that he had was this, I, I can't think of his name right now, but I say it in the Elms Uncovered episode, but I, I think, Bowie's inspiration behind Ziggy Stardust was this Elvis impersonator that that he was uh, like really good friends with, and he was like this really kooky character that uh, that was just kind of out there. And he he's that's somewhat of the basis of what happened with uh or what led to the thing with uh the creation of Ziggy. And there was a little bit of autobiographical uh bits on his part because i mean at that point in time he really hadn't made it as a musician he wasn't like the big name i mean he had a bit of success with space oddity but uh he hadn't really become a big star i mean him and mark bowen were kind of on the same page with although uh, mark already had a uh head start with the uh, transaurus rex and uh which evolved into t-rex so 
what he made here was almost like an almost self like a autobiographical kind of an album called Ziggy Stardust. And what the album's about, it's uh, the setting is an an Earth that has five years left, which it's never brought up in the album again. But that's the that's what leads to the first song, Five Years. It's a, oh, that's like right now. That's like twenty twenty two. We got uh, around twenty twenty seven. It's uh, it's all going to implode. So I get it. Okay, way ahead of its time. And uh, it's taking place in this, uh, it's taking place in this kind of dystopian future. And it's this alien who lands, Ziggy is this alien or that lands on earth. And, um, you know, the, the, um, like everybody's reacting, I guess it is felt in the other songs because I mean, the, the next song after that is soul love. And he's just seeing how people are expressing their emotions and, he wants to bring love and joyness and happiness to the masses. So he sets out to play a song on the radio, becomes inspired and becomes a rock and roll star. And kind of coming back to like some of the stuff on the Crimson Idol, he kind of realizes that it's making him a worse person. And um, I think it, some of it's left to interpretation. Some of it isn't. And um yeah, it it is my favorite David Bowie album. Uh, I think it's, I think most people consider it to be one of his best, if not his best. And um, it is his. It was his most successful album. I don't think anything, with the exception of maybe Let's Dance, having a lot of commercial success in '83. But um, it's all about uh, an extraterrestrial or uh, alien rock star who wants to bring joy to the world. All right. And the song is, I think this was featured in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's how a lot of young people might know it. Kids mm -hmm. is what I'm telling you. This is Moon Age Daydream. I'm the space invader. I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you. Keep your mouth shut. Just walk along. Love that song. Love it. Love it. Good pick. All right. Let's go to the last name that tune submitted intro and song. And then for the rest of the show, it's just me and you, Aaron. All right. But this guy's great. How do you, how can you not like this guy? Hector Contreras. So much fun. So nice. Here we go. He's my son. Hello, Rock Solid Universe. This is Hector Contreras from Jefferson, Mass. And I want to tell you about the best and greatest concept album that we almost got. It was 18 years ago. A turquoise Chevy convertible went off the Raritan Bridge, and we lost a legend. That legend was Eddie Wilson. The band, Eddie and the Cruisers. The album, A Season in Hell. Yes. Season in Hell was a total innovation for its time. It was a signal of greatness yet to come. 
Eddie Wilson was a step ahead of us, and I don't think we've caught up with him yet. Eddie's been dead for 18 years, but his music is as alive today as the day he recorded it. For me, and for everyone who listens to music, Eddie Wilson lives, and always will. Rock in peace. But you didn't ask me what was the best album. You asked me for my favorite, and that's The Wall. Now look, it's The Wall. You've all heard it. Your children, have they've all heard it. Your parents, they've all heard it. Your great Pep-Pep, he's got a signed copy. Now look, the list goes on. Throw a dart at any of these songs. I don't care. They all rule. They all rule. Those are fighting words. I'll throw down, all right? They all rule. So today I'm just going to pick one at random, and uh, you're all not going to cry about it, all right? Pat, thank you for letting me participate, and thanks, as always, for the free funny. And now... Here's Run Like Hell. concept albums does pink floyd have i feel like they have more than just the wall and dark side of the moon oh they have more i wish you were here's a concept album uh that would be like the their take on the record industry and uh the the the, the theme of apps the loss of absence uh in themselves after the success of dark side of the moon so it's kind of a meta concept and then there's some stuff about sid Mm -hmm. which there's the story about sid walking in uh into the recording sessions for that album and that was the last time anybody ever saw him um animals uh animals is another one about uh based off of the george orwell uh, two or georgia 1984 and animal farm about uh, a future dominated uh, by three types of animals uh yeah there's there's i think there's a the, the big i know the final cut has a bit of a concept yeah the vision bell they, they have a few yeah they uh they like it they like it um, of course that song was run like hell. And a lot of people, when you bring up concept albums, that's what they want to do. They want to run like hell and get a, a, away from you, but not us. We're all in this next one. I'm so glad you picked this one. This is an Alice Cooper album from his mm-hmm. lost years. There's like yeah. four albums that he says he doesn't even remember making. And that may be true. It's produced by Bob Ezrin. And, and Bob called- Ezrin tends to produce all those. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Bob Ezrin t- tends to produce a lot of these albums here. Yeah, and the album's I, called Dada. Yeah, I, this is a new reissue of it on Orange Vinyl. Well, let's uh, open I, that up. Let me see the vinyl. Let me see. Uh, I was surprised. To, I was honestly surprised to see this. I, I didn't. Oh wow! I forgot that it's all like. Look at it. It's like it's like marble. It looks like a marble. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Yeah, this is a very. I know this is uh, M. Bags, uh, Michael Bagford's uh, favorite Alice album, and uh, yeah, it it really is um, unique album. I mean, I could have easily picked "Welcome to My Nightmare." I could have picked uh, 
There's a couple of albums that he's done that. Uh, I could have picked from the inside. There, there's a couple there, but I feel like this one doesn't get as much much attention. And and as you said, it's a shame that the 1980s from from Flush the Fashion, Flush the Fashion, Special Forces, Zippers catch, catches skin in this. And this, this, these were all blurred to Alice, and he, the life of him cannot remember recording these albums. And it was after this that uh, Cheryl, his wife, was gonna. Was I, I think she did file for divorce, but they reconciled. And I mean, Alice was away from the music business for like the next three years until yeah. he came out with Constrictor and eventually uh, came back into the mainstream. And now he's almost been sober for now 40 years. So, um, but this is the last album that he released for three years. And it's an insanely creative album. And uh, I mean, it's a, I would have wanted to know from Alice like where he was coming from and what the story was with this one because there there's there's a lot to dissect here uh with this one. Uh Dada is an album uh that seems to be about a man who's in therapy. And um I mean we don't really get a we get an idea of his story that it seems like he has an older kid, but then we go to his backstory of how he keeps his brother up in his room and he's got all these things going on for him he meets his a new wife while he's playing santa claus in the mall <laughs> and then uh and then that song no man's land which is one of my favorites uh he, there's the lyric of wait till something about wait till she saw all of me all four of me and then after that song we see all four of those personalities of the i don't think the character has a name uh I, I don't even think it's Steven, which is Alice's most common character in all of his albums. Right. But he always he I always mean, falls back mm-hmm. with Steven. Yeah. So it's it's always so with these songs, I mean, it's like at one point he has amnesia or he has a oh, dyslexia. Uh at one point he's like the Frankenstein uh kind of a creating like taking bodies with Scarlet and Sheba. Uh he becomes a redneck and i love america yep, yep and becomes i guess like a vampire and of uh fresh blood and by the last song on the album which i picked here which is called pass the gun around because he's contemplating on whether his life is worth living and he's passing the gun around because it's the four personalities of him pra- passing the gun around yeah and if he uh and if any of those personalities use the gun only one guy dies Mm-hmm. And it's Alice. So let's hear from Dada, Pass the Gun Around. Sonny wakes up in the morning feeling kind of sick. Needs a little story vodka, needs it really quick. Sees a little blood run from his eyes, feels a little hotel paralyzed. Watching cartoons, the television's on. 
I think they should make a mini box set called Alice Cooper, The Lost Years, and put these four albums or four CDs or whatever you want to do all together. I think people would be into that. Cherry Red Records, if you're out there listening, I think you should do that. I would uh, I would buy that in a heartbeat. Or make the best the yeah. best of the lost years because there are some great songs on these four albums. I actually used to do that. I would make my own mixtape or mix CD with my favorite songs from these four albums. Just so good. Yeah, I think that um, Alice is like slowly in the. He still. I don't think he's had yet to play any of the songs from Zipper Catches Skin or Dada for live yet. Wow. And he's played a couple of songs from what uh flush of that he's he's played pain in, in uh recent years, yeah, which is nice to see see I would uh, love, if, if I ever get a chance to interview alice i would I would want to ask him about these, but maybe it's truly the lost years. maybe he really doesn't remember anything about them, but it would be fun mm-hmm. all right, chapter nine of Love Gun. The concept album. The song is Plaster Caster. Word finally spreads around town that Gene Paul is still obsessed with his small penis. And he is summoned to meet the Plaster Caster. Now, this character is very much like the Acid Queen in Tommy. That's all, well, that's all I'm going to say. And mm-hmm. I would envision if they made this the movie, this would be Lady Gaga would be the Plaster Caster. All right. So the Plaster Caster she has seen many penises and she wants to make Jean Paul's tiny dink into a work of art. So let's hear Plaster Caster. There's only one more chapter left. I, I hope the story ends. I, I hope it's a happy ending. I, I dig a happy ending, but we'll find out in a little bit. Find out in a little bit. But right now, we're jumping to Rush. You know what? I didn't realize that this album was a concept album, Clockwork Angels. Yeah, that's well, as fate would have it, it would be the last Rush album. Uh, I mean, even though they kind of they kind of ended uh in what was it uh they kind of ended in one like uh they kind of quietly broke up in 2015 or just Alex Lifeson said it was over but but um yeah I saw them on this tour uh with my uncle uh so at least I got to see them once they performed most of this album uh, yeah I saw this and, tour too it was great and uh yeah if you saw any of the videos that they played that were the where the guys were all playing the roles of these characters. I mean, it was all well thought out thing. Uh, there's a book tethered to this album, uh, which you can get separately. And I think there's graphic novels that 
and what have you, which I haven't checked out myself. Um, I mean, for me, Rush, I mean, I, I got into them when, I mean, like I, I became interested in them when I heard 2112, like 2004 or five. And then sometimes it would, it would get very intimidating to just get into a band because then you look at all the albums that they all have and it just, and this is when I was still counting live albums, which I still get live albums from time to time, but I was still counting them within the whole. So I just thought, yeah, I just don't see the, I just got a couple of albums, but you know, seeing how much of a cult following that Rush has, and I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, more so when I saw them live and I collected more of the albums, I'm seeing that, you know, there's really deep philosophies, uh, like that, I mean, there could be a whole, and there's somebody that teaches at my, uh, King's College that, that's, in, that's the ed, main editor of the series of pop culture and philosophy. And they do books on like almost everything. And I think they did a book on Russian philosophy, which uh, I would have been interested to. Uh, they write like different en- en- books on like all the, it's it's a very interesting series. But of all these Rush albums that have all these long songs and very specific stories, they only made one album that has a concept. And it's this album, Clockwork Angels, which... I'm not entirely sure, like the story, or for story for story. So it, it is a loose narrative, I guess. If you read the book, then it would be it would be a rock opera in some way. But um, from what I can get, at, it's a uh, a guy going along the caravan ride, and it's just about carnies traveling. I think that's what basic basically all comes down to. And I figured I would pick because I was trying to get an even number of ounces for each of the three categories that I created and <coughs> figured I I pick something that's more this is the most recent of the albums uh that I picked and uh it's just about a yeah if you look at the tracking list I mean there is sort of a story here like you go there's one song called Carnies so it's all about like tra- traveling show right I'm sure they, they left it all in the left it on the book I may have to I haven't seen I've seen mixed reviews <laughs> I've actually seen mixed reviews on the book uh, but uh, I think it's a it's a good album. I I enjoyed that show, and um, yeah, I think it's a it's it says a lot more that it's the last Rush album. So, and then the song that you picked is "Headlong Flight." Headlong Flight. Let's hear it. tune headlong flight this is an album that i haven't uh listened to enough i gotta uh i gotta check this one out again too 
Yeah, it's. I think it's worth coming back to. I think it. Uh, I think I came back to it a couple of years ago. It's uh It is a. It is a unique album. It, it says a lot that you would think that a band like Rush would release a, you know, band like them would have you know, a bunch of concept albums, but yeah, uh, yeah, they really only made one. And and again, I said before, twenty one twelve. I don't consider because the the songs on the second side they could have been on any album, right. So it's more like a concept side for 2112. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on. This is one of your favorite artists, Lou Reed. Yeah. Uh, I keep threatening to do a Lou Reed episode with Murray. We're, uh, we're going to do it. We've started to pick our songs. There's just That's, a lot of albums to get through. It's really hit or miss with him. I mean, it when he really makes a is good hit album, or miss. It, when we, he makes a good album, it's good. And when he makes a bad one, Yep. Although I think it's, a, again, with Rush saying that, he's saying it says a lot more with Rush, Clockwork Angels being their last album. I think it says a lot when Lou Reed's last album was with Metallica. Right. Lou, and Lou. I can appreciate I can appreciate that he just did not care towards the end. That he just, he knew that people were probably going to hate it and he didn't care. He thought no. he had lost all of his fans after Metal Machine Music. But uh, this album here, Berlin, uh, this is a concept album, and he has a couple. There's New York, which is also another, which is another good album. Yeah. But this was a very brave follow-up to Transformer, which he had a hit with Walk on the Wild Side with, and uh, other songs like Perfect Day and uh, Satellite of Love. This one was produced by Bob Ezrin again, and uh, this is an album that's, um, it's a loose narrative about a junkie couple by the name of uh, Jim and Caroline and it's basically their story from beginning to end of how i guess kind of how they met um and the thing i i think for the most part you can notice like in the um towards the beginning like the songs are kind of optimistic they're kind of happy they're kind of joyful and then as the album goes on it just gets more and more depressing (laughs) and and i and people at the time when this was released in 73 people did not know what to make of this album they thought it was i mean when i heard it for the first again it was my same year that i got up uh the lamb uh that's when i got berlin and after listening to it i just felt like oh my goodness this is <laughs> this is just this is such a downer album I, lester bangs uh was quoted to saying it's the most depressing album ever and uh it's just this sad story about this couple that you know start off nicely and then you know drugs get in the mix they lose custody of their kids and it just all ball i think what what lou was trying to do was trying to find i mean having listened to lou speak and having what he's all about i think he was trying to find like beauty in and tragedy and trying to i think like channel like maybe some of the like old time movies from like the 40s and 30s or I, I heard him speaking when he promoted the lulu album he mentioned nosferatu <laughs> and um and just like like he's really well versed in his theater and what have you so i think he was on to something here but people didn't understand it then but a couple years later uh, many years later actually in 2006 he gave this album everybody started giving this album its due the point where he decided to uh, perform the album in its entirety live, which there is a concert film of. It's called Lou Reed's Berlin. That's probably the closest that you're getting. There's some like reenactments of some of the scenes or like uh, you see some actors playing. 
and he played it as intent because his intentions were to have this played in its entirety with an orchestra, which after the album flopped, he, he could not do that. Right. So, but now that it was getting all this attention, he did it with the, I can't remember the guy. He He's a, he's kind of local here in South. He, he was one, his name was Hal uh, Wilmer. I think his name was, uh, he, he passed, he was one of the first people to pass from COVID. Uh, he did the shows with him. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a live out. I think it's like live at St. Anne's. Um, and uh, yeah, the movie itself is is, is a good concert film. And uh, the funny, uh, I found out from a couple years ago, uh, it was actually a year ago today because today's my uh, grandfather's 92nd birthday. Happy birthday. And uh, for his, uh, 90, I posted this thing about him. And one of my great stories is that my grandparents, uh, my grandfather mostly uh, kindly bought me the first Velvet Underground album with the banana sticker. So I shared that part of the story it was like a blurb in his story that i I did this whole write-up for him for his 90th and i tagged my grandmother to it and i guess she was still facebook friends with a couple people including this girl who's this woman who came up and this woman who typed up and said oh i was a neighbor and i your 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 dad and your uncle uh you know they were they went to my birthday party a couple times they were neighbors i thought oh cool and she said oh you mentioned the velvet underground oh my son worked with Lou. Wow. And I just went, get out. And then she said, yeah, she worked on, he worked on the blue, he worked on Berlin. And I went back to this record and I'm looking at names here and I'm thinking, wait a minute, how old is it? If she's no, my, if she knows my dad and my uncle, wait, to keep they, oh wait, she's referring to the, the, the later shows. Ah, and then okay. when she showed a, when she showed a picture of him, it was, it was her son with, Lou and that the other guy. And, and went, what did her son do for Lou? She, apparently, he was. Uh, from what, all I know is that he was in Lou, Lou's crew. I think they called it. All right, Lou's he crew. Who that could be anything. That could be. I threw out a possible interview, but she said I don't know if he talks about Lou any. If he does interview us about Lou, but it didn't lead to anything. But um, it's just crazy. My dad's side of the family is just crazy with the connections that they have. I mean, um. My dad's side, there, there's some people that had Johnny Oko's clients, and it's just music's in your blood. Uh, I think one of my, my, my grandmother's brother, uh, one of the things he knew, Bill, I think he said that he knew Bill Coin. Wow, because he was in public television. That's what Bill Coin did prior to uh, managing Kiss. He had never managed a band, but he was in public television. So. It's just like it's crazy with the New York connection that everybody's just everybody knew each other and uh it is crazy. It's a it's a big city, but it's like a small town. So there's two versions of this song in the album, Caroline mm-hmm. Says, and you picked Caroline Says number one. So yeah, let this me is play that peppier one. I know people like the second one a little bit, which is a little more depressing. Let's hear the peppy one. Yeah, I like Caroline that. Says. That I'm just a toy She wants a man Not just a boy Oh, Caroline says Oh, Caroline says Caroline says She can't help but be mean Or cruel Or oh so it seems Oh, Caroline says Caroline says She says she doesn't want a man who leans 
Much more peppier than the other one. That, well, that's a, couple a good of the, one. Yeah, a couple of those songs they started out as Velvet Underground songs, and, and that's and you just, love the you love the Velvet Underground. I do. All right, Chapter Ten: The Ending of Love Gun, the concept album. Is it going to be a happy ending? I, I hope it is. I'm not sure. Let me let me read. Let me find out what it says. Years after high school is over. Gene Paul has still not found anyone to bang. So he decides to go to the local skating rink called the Psycho Circle. It's there during the couple's only skate that he is asked onto the rink by a girl named Shandy. On their fourth lap around the rink, Shandy leans over and kisses Gene Paul on the cheek. It's not just any kiss. It's his first kiss. And at that moment, Gene Paul realizes that what he has been looking for all this time wasn't sex, but it was love. And the concept album closes with, Then She Kissed Me. about that a story about a guy obsessed with his love gun ends up in a happy ending terrific <laughs> kiss eh, look kiss nailed it on this one i know your next song is from their other uh concept album which uh which is not as good as this concept album but uh let's hear about music from the elder now a lot of people just call it the elder but it's it's music from the elder there it is. Well, that's that's Paul Stanley's hand on the cover. I've heard other stories that it, it, it's only rumored that it's his hand. I think it may have been just a. I just watched that A and E doc two part documentary, and Paul says that's his hand. Okay, that's yeah, what that, I mean. Look, they. I know they stretch the truth. It might not be. Uh, I don't know that A and E one. I I it was a year ago, and now I, for me, my introduction to Kiss was the uh, Beyond the Makeup documentary that. That got me into Kiss. Yeah. The now, other one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Fine. Yeah, the, the other one was fine. And I'll now, say this... about. Hmm? You go. I'll, I'll say about. I'll say. I'll, I'll compliment that. Well done on the whole. <laughs> Love Gun. Uh, trying to convince me that it's a concept album. Because it uh, is. It absolutely is. Uh, 100%. Even though it ends in a cover. Although with Tommy, there's a cover on there too. Yeah. But. uh. Yeah, I guess you can. I thought I, I thought the way that this was going to work that you were going to pitch to me how these albums were all concept albums. Yeah, and then I decided to just go all in on Love Gun since it's my favorite concept album. Because I I told the people in that tune today that I would have cracked up if you tried to pitch to me that uh, Rusty Cow by Murray Valeriano was a concept album. 
Um, yeah, that would have been fun. I'm, uh, I'm a little sorry now that I didn't do that, but <laughs> let's talk a little bit about, uh, music okay. from the outer. Okay, First the of all, I don't know how, look, when it was released on vinyl, it had a different track listing There's than a it does why. on the CD. So the story couldn't have been that it's, that tends to be a really loose story. If you can rearrange the tracks, you know what I mean? Well, there's a reason why uh, Kiss at that point in time were very, they had just gotten their car. They had come off of this very successful tour in Australia. Uh, they, they even, it was called Kiss, they refer to that period of time as Kissteria over <laughs> there in Australia. It was, it was a very successful part of their career, even though the two albums that they had released by that point in time, Dynasty and Unmasked, were kind of not on the rock side of things. Although coming back to those albums, I mean, I think some fans have appreciation for those albums. They're not very, I mean, a couple of them have a hint of disco in them, but I think they're more so power pop. Right. And the following off of the of Paul's solo album. But yeah, but they, but as far as being rock and roll albums, they, they that they really weren't delivering on that. So uh, they were, they were said to somewhere, I, I think somebody said when you, when you did the Elder for your track by track that, um, they supposedly said that the next album they were going to do was going to be their heaviest and they were going to go in there and make the heaviest album ever. And they recruited Bob Ezrin who had, uh, who had produced uh destroyer, which was a very successful album for them. So they figured, well, then we get the producer who did that. Bob Ezrin at that point in time was hot off of producing the wall by Pink Floyd, 1979. And, According to him, uh, he was also going through a uh, cocaine addiction. So out of his, out of his, I guess, cocaine-fueled mind, he just told the guy, he listened to what they had and said, I don't like any of this. Why don't you guys make a concept album? And Gene just went, well, okay. He's got, at that point in time, Gene was starting to, get around Hollywood and try to get into movies, which we wouldn't see until he was in Runaway and and to like closer into the mid-1980s where he started really doing acting jobs. But there's even, I think you can find like auditions that he gave or like he did like line readings, which are very funny to watch of him doing like, I'll, I'll try and find them for you later. But he, Gene had been going around Hollywood and he had this story about a boy becoming a warrior and they went, okay, we'll make the, we'll make it about that. Uh, Ace Fraley was against this. Yep. Uh, he did not like it, but uh, he was outvoted two to three against uh, two to one against Paul. Eric Carr had no decision in it because he wasn't, he was just new. Right. And this is his first album here, which is very strange that this was his first album because uh, he didn't really get to show off his chops until the next album, which they made the album that they were going to, the album that they were going to originally make, which was Creatures of the Night. But, um, with the elder it's a story about a boy becoming a warrior they left it very loose to interpretation because they had big plans for this album they were going to have a big tour for it yep uh i mean if you were to look at the back i think the back of the cd it says here that I, they even had actors picked out What's yeah chris make piece yeah i was going to mention him from, from my bodyguard from, yep from meatballs and my bodyguard he was gonna i'm guessing that at that age he probably would have played the part of the boy um so uh they had like this whole thing done and it was all set up and they played it for the record execs. And the story goes that when it ended, the room was silent <laughs> and it wasn't because it was a, 
and it wasn't because they enjoyed it. And the reason why I th- I think it's established the reason why that the tracking order was different back then. I think it it started with the oath. Yeah, and I think that's because that was the most rocking track on the album. Yeah, like they were they were scared. Like the record ex- Casablanca and the powers that be, they were scared of just okay. How do we start this out? So they just came up with this whole different arrangement just to make it you know much so that it starts off firing on all cylinders and then it just gets. So you're left with this very clunky as I don't even get if I ever saw a vinyl I I have seen vinyl copies of the elder but stores and I don't get them because they're not in the right the, the intended order which is on the Japanese release uh this is the order that was meant to be and they tell some sort of story and um there was an attempt at making it but it was a it was a it was a big failure and it's the only kiss album uh, maybe Sonic Boom and Monster probably didn't do too well, to, considering what the CD purchasing. I'm sure that those have probably gone gold, but The Elder is the only Kazam that has not gone gold or platinum, and it doesn't have any. And Gene and Paul like to forget that it ever happened, but <laughs> there's a lot of Kiss out. There's a lot of Kiss fans that still have a soft spot for it. And in these Kiss cruises, they've finally gotten around to playing songs from the album. I think it's an underrated album. Um, I don't think it's the worst Kiss album because at least this one's inspired. I mean, a couple of the the eighties albums were they they were just I mean, it was just Paul trying to keep the band together. And uh, I, mean, I mean, this one has some inspiration, and there was an attempt at making a movie of this like a couple years ago, and I pledged money for it, and yeah, never got never got made. And I remember you and um you you and uh. Kyle and uh, Courtney uh, were all, and Christian were all thinking about like I think that they could totally sell, like they could do a whole graphic novel or comic oh, book series. Definitely, people would eat it up. I think they're uh, if they, and I wouldn't be surprised at this project that I donated money to. I I wouldn't be surprised if they got a cease and desist from from Kiss because I mean they had no, I don't know if they had the rights to make. They didn't a movie have the rights it. to it. No. Well, but looking just- at. Yeah, but looking at the trailer, I don't know if it would have been any good. <laughs> and uh, whatever the running order is, the track that you chose closes out mm-hmm. the whole thing. I'm surprised this isn't as much of, I mean, it's later Kiss. I mean, it's without Peter Chris, but I'm surprised this song is not as held in high regard as some of the other ones. I think it's an underrated song. And um, uh, it's it's certainly an anthem and uh, does close out the album nicely. It's my favorite song from the album, along with, uh, with uh, "World Without Heroes," and which, hear, by the way, Lou Reed wrote co-wrote some of the. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, I think his voice is on one of the. It sounds like Lou Reed on one of those songs. I would have to go back and listen to that, but which song is it that he? Uh, I think uh, he also had some credits for Mr. Blackwell. Yeah. All right, this song's called I, so let's, Mm -hmm. it's it's the last song of the episode other than the playout that I've picked, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. From Music from the Elder, this is Kiss with I.
there you go. Music from the Elder coming to you in graphic novel form, hopefully soon. Uh, Aaron, this has yeah. been fun. You really did your yeah. homework. Yeah. And you really shined a light on the various types of concept albums. So thank you so much for doing this. Mm -hmm. Before I announce the playout song, tell everyone again where they can find your writings, follow you on the internet, and all that good stuff. Uh, well, I'll give a couple plugs off for myself. You can follow me at Aaron underscore Khan on Twitter. Uh, albums Uncovered is uh, albums uh, Letter U. And um, as far as finding my podcast, it's on Libsyn. I mean, if you do a Google search for it, you should be able to find it. And it's on Apple Podcasts, which is my preferred format of having uh, listening to back to the shows. Uh, speaking of concept albums and uh, uh, this whole uh, episode that we just did here, a couple of the albums that have been mentioned here, I have done episodes on. So if anybody wants to listen to those uh, episodes and want to learn more about those albums, uh, you you can do that. Um, from memory, I think the albums I've done are... Uh, I would have to look back. I, I've done... Um, I've done I've done a cut. I I know I did something on Spirit, Bowie. Uh I did the wall, even though I didn't pick that. I have done an episode on the wall. Uh uh there's there's uh Sabotage I did an episode on. Uh the most recent one, Wasp, I did a, a show on Crimson Idol. Um there's gonna be and there's other ones like Operation Mind Crime and Dark Side of the Moon, which I will be doing soon. And uh yeah, for those episodes, those are very specific with the album, and I kind of take you through the whole story. And so you can go ahead and listen to those. As far as with my writing, you can find me on Pop Culture Beast. I review whatever releases come around, uh, movies, music, or whatever shows I can get into here and there. And then uh, the other thing I would like to mention is that. Um, uh, my job, I work at, um, shop, I work at a, well, I work at, a. I, I, I technically work there part-time, but, uh, I work at a Goodwill in their e-commerce department in Belmore, New Jersey. And, uh, I would, uh, like to ask, uh, for listeners to check out, uh, shopgoodwill.com. Uh, that's the website that we put our stuff up. But basically what I do, we, we basically list stuff that goes up on, uh, online and it goes up for auction similar to eBay and uh, one of the things I get the most with in terms of Goodwill people tell me well I didn't know Goodwill did that well we do and yeah. um, speaking as somebody I, I used to do the fashion but now I, for the last four last three or four years I've been doing the jewelry and of course because I'm the music fan I do the records and I can tell you being a uh, music fan there's a lot of good stuff that goes up on Shop Goodwill. And I've been able to walk out with some stuff, some stuff that could have gone for a lot of money had they gone up and I hadn't bought them from them, which I which I kind of feel bad about sometimes. But um, yeah, I would just recommend to go to Shop Goodwill. You're going to have to, although I will put up, if you're going to look for records, you're going to have to scroll through a bunch of, you're going to have to go through a lot of pages of stuff that's that's just not going to sell. But if you, you're, you'll be able to find some stuff if you if, You'll find some hidden gems. And look, Aaron, these people were, they were just going to, they were either going to throw it out or donate it. So they just, they donated it to you. That's how I think of it. 
Mm-hmm. And if you want to look for my specific listings, uh, just go into the uh, the uh, the filter on the website, and if you pick location, just pick type in New Jersey. We're the only one that's in New Jersey. Hey, Jersey! All right, Aaron, and everyone else. You can follow us at Rock Solid Show on Twitter. Go to rocksolidpodcast.com for all things about the show. I believe on Instagram, we are also at Rock Solid Show. And to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash rock solid podcast. And you know what? Follow Kyle at Kyle Dotson Funny. He's good on Twitter. And to close it out from the Who's Quadrophenia, this is one of my favorite songs on that album. Please enjoy Sea and Sand. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Pat. And thank you to everybody who submitted songs. Gave gave a really wide perspective of uh, the concept album art form. And similar, and I just realized as we're recording this, uh, this recording has been going on for some two hours or so. So it's almost like it's a big epic. It is. Two (laughs) hours and 47 minutes. But it flew by. So it was fun. I think it's only fitting that something, now a show about concept albums would be this long. So. I agree. <laughs> All right, folks, here it is. Sea and Sand. Street.